<laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 250. We're a quarter of the way to 1,000. Holy shit. Uh, feels like I've been running this thing for a decade. Uh, it, not quite, but it's been four years. Uh, so thanks for, for rocking with me. Excited about this, doing uh, something new with this episode, doing a compilation. Um, I am about to head off uh, on vacation. By the time you're hearing this, I'll have just gotten back, hopefully nice and refreshed, little tan, uh, stomach full of lobster rolls from the East Coast and visiting some family. So uh, what I wanted to do is put together a great compilation episode here uh, with one of the people that I respect more than anyone else, especially in the sales world, John Barros. I've actually talked to him twice over the last few years um, and wanted to put these two episodes together, actually. Uh, so the first hour is really about John's guiding principles to his life. We're getting to know him, get to know him on his journey throughout his career um, and how he, um, you know, how he created JB Sales and, and what his sales path was like before that to give, him, give you some perspective on the early days. Uh, the second one is, is a lot more tactical. It's about building pipeline. It's about how to run your day, uh, why he always wears the Make It Happen Monday shirt. Um, and it seems like that's his Steve Jobs-esque uniform. So we get into a lot of that. And, and not only why is it so important to have a big pipeline, which I think we all get, but how do I actually do it uh, via email or, or cold call? So I hope, really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I get smarter every time that I listen to John or read something that he writes. Um, if you did like it, give us a shout out on LinkedIn. That's the best place to hit us up. Tom Olamo. Uh, I'm Tommy Tahoe on Twitter and Instagram. Um, show some love to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're checking it out. If you're on YouTube, you'll see I got my Bucks hat. Shout out to Tom Brady. Um, and let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor before we get into this thing. Postal.io, the OG sponsors of this podcast. Um, love, the, love the folks over there. They help to create meaningful experiences with your customers so you can send them very personalized gifts uh, to prospects, customers, partners. Um, so it's not just a, a gift card or, or something random like that, but it's it could be from the winery or the brewery in town or the local florist, or you can do some handwritten notes uh, virtually, you know, uh, through the internet, which is pretty neat as well. So I highly encourage you to check them out at postal.io. Show, show them some love. Uh, again, if you like this episode, hit us up on LinkedIn. It's the best place. Share the love, spread it with a friend. Um, without further ado, let's get into my double conversation with John J.B. Barrows. Let's go. In this episode, I talk to the king of SaaS sales, John Barrows. Let's go. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alamo. You can find me on social media at Tommy Tahoe, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, you can find more about the show and the show notes and our blog at millennialmomentum.net. Uh, if you are new to the show, thank you for listening. This show is all about millennial personal development, right? And trying to get to that next level, whether it's in business, your career, your relationships, your health, uh, spirituality, wh whatever it may be, you have a goal, you want to get there, you're ambitious. I think you need three things, right? You need a relentless work ethic. You need a positive growth mindset attitude. 
you need a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy, right? So I'm hoping that this show, the videos, the blog, whatever I do, can help be that spark of momentum for you. I hope it can be that uh, spark of momentum for myself as well, because I am going after some big goals and you know, I, I appreciate you coming on this journey. I'm not an expert, but I'm learning from some, from some great people. And I appreciate you listening and hope this is helpful. As a quick side note, I do this all uh, for free. I have a full-time job that has nothing to do with podcasting or writing uh, in sales management. And so this is all what I do between the hours of 4.30 and 7 a.m. or 8 to 10 p.m. or Saturdays or today is Sunday at 3.50 p.m. Um, and it's 65 degrees outside in California and here I am doing this. And so I hope this provides value. If it did, please just head over to Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Subscribe, leave a review, share it out. Uh, it means the world to me as I'm trying to just add value to people that are getting after it. And with that said, let's get into today's episode. In Ray Dalio's book, Principles, uh, he says, Principles are fundamental truths that serve as the foundations for behavior that gets you what you want out of life. They can be applied again and again in similar situations to help you achieve your goals. So I'd ask, do you have principles that guide your life? And, you know, I don't mean the quote on your wall that says, live, laugh, love. I don't mean the tribal tattoo on your bicep. It's more detailed than a quote. It's it's more simplistic, though, than a book of rules. It's a way to live life, right? As a reminder to work hard, treat others well, think boldly. When it really comes in handy is when you got your back against the wall, you know, an agonizing decision. It's 2 a.m. on a Wednesday night and your your thoughts are racing really quickly. You know, should I fire her? Is he really the one for me? Can I keep going? Should I just quit? The really life-changing decisions. And, um, you know, John Barrows does. And he's not your average sales trainer. That's who's on the show today. He's a self-described salesperson that happens to train. Uh, I think that's somewhat accurate. I'd describe him more as a wise business mind that enjoys selling and he enjoys training. And whatever you call him, you, you got to call him successful. I mean, he has taken over the niche of SaaS sales training. He's working with companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box. He has trained my company, Tech Target, uh, for the last year or two. I love his writing. I love his tips. He's got a great podcast himself, um, the Make It Happen Mondays podcast. Check him out. Um, but despite that success or anyone's success, we all have those 2 a.m. conversations with ourselves. And having these principles really helps to guide you in the right direction. I'm just going to read off his 12. I think they're so good. Number one, work smart and hard. Number two, always ask for feedback. Number three, set high but attainable goals and tell people about them. Number four, earn everything. Number five, be open and honest with everyone, especially yourself. Number six, don't think you're better than anyone else, but know no one is better than you. Seven, confidence overcomes most shortcomings, except for an ego. Number eight, find your passion or find something else to do. Number nine, what goes around comes around. Number 10, you can learn something new from everyone in every situation. Number 11, 
Make sure you can live with the worst-case scenario. And number 12, get at least 1% better every day. And I think those are just spot on. And those are his, right? And I'm not suggesting necessarily that you copy all of his or any of his. But to find what those principles are, you're going to hear John talk about how to follow, how to find your passion and follow it, right? Uh, He says, find your passion or find something else to do. You're going to hear him talk about a five-year plan. You're going to hear him talk about what has helped him uh, go from lows to highs, help him be successful, what he hears from you know, millennial salespeople all the time. And I think guiding principles, whether it's one or 12 or 30, finding what those are to you and, and staying true to yourself. And so this is a great conversation with John. We talk way outside of sales, but we start with sales tactics. We get into the mindset needed to be successful. We talk about focusing on your long-term growth over short-term results. Talked about what he learned from working with the Jack Welch. Um, and above all that, we, we talk about these principles and how it guides life and, and what he would tell that person that's struggling right now, that wants to quit, that hates their job, that's facing those tough decisions. Um, and so I'd be curious if you have a guiding principle, let us know. I'd, I'd be really curious to hear of it. You know, John says in his wisdom, stop doing what you're supposed to do. He expands on that, but I loved having John on the show. Again, if you found value here, I think you will, go and check him out. Check out his uh, his social, his blog, his podcast. It's all linked here in the show notes if you go to millennialmomentum.net. Without further ado, I will stop rambling and I will turn it over to Mr. John Barrows. All right, now coming on the Millennial Momentum podcast, he is the king of SaaS sales, training companies like Salesforce, Box, LinkedIn, Marketo, Google, uh, started as a sales rep over 20 years ago uh, at Black & Decker. You know, moved into becoming a VP of sales at a high-growth tech company. Went into the sales training space. Now he's on his own. Um, he is Mr. Make It Happen Monday. Mr. John Barrows, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I've got a lot of emotions coming into this one because it's the last week of the month, it's the last week of the quarter, and yep. Gronk just retired yesterday. <laughs> and so I got a lot coming into this podcast. So I appreciate yep. you coming on. Yeah, it wasn't surprising. I, I mean, I, I, I'm betting. So Monday, so I think uh, the WWE is actually in town in Boston. Uh, I, I'm putting money on the fact that Gronk comes out on stage to announce his uh, his WWE uh, uh, career uh, kickoff as of tonight. So we'll see what happens. But I'm pretty confident the kid's going into wrestling. I, b- I believe it. He's got a he's got a massive future in him, no matter what he decides to do. If it's football yeah. or WWE or acting, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, he's, I wouldn't say acting. He's not that WWE acting, fantastic. But acting, Gronk's not exactly yeah. the best actor I've seen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, that's true. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on, and you know, I want to get right into it. And you know, I've, I've been a follower of, of your blog and your podcast for a long time now. Um, you you train Tech Target um, and, and have been doing so for the last year or two. I read in some of your writing that as you got into the sales training profession, it was a tough decision because you didn't necessarily want to be a sales trainer. Mm-hmm. And now you talk about passion and following your passion as being an important key. So 
could could you go back in time and maybe describe how that came to be? How you went from one end of not really knowing if this is going to be right for you to now this is your full blown passion and you're loving it and and you're really growing in this area. Yeah, and that, just to clarify, you know, passion. I always. I actually think follow your passion is probably one of the worst pieces of advice as anybody in my generation has given your generation. Um, I really do. I, I think follow your passion is just absolutely a terrible advice. Because if, if somebody told me to follow my passion when I was in my teenage years or whatever, I'd be smoking weed and painting on the on the side of, you know what I mean? Like I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. be broke on the, on the side of the, be an artist, right? Whatever. Because um, that's what I was quote unquote passionate about when I was, you know, in my teens and early 20s. Um, what I think is you follow, you know, find your passion and then follow it. And to be quite honest, I think that, that you don't really find out what you're truly passionate about. Most people in general, most people don't really truly find what they're passionate about until they're in their kind of late twenties, early thirties from a, I guess, from a work standpoint, if you, if I were to quantify that or qualify that. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, I've always been, I, I never knew I was passionate about sales until I got into it and I started realizing like this is a way to take all my skills and put them into to work for for good. Um, and then when I really started becoming a student of sales, you know, and learning and, and by experiencing, one of the things that was blatantly obvious to me was that, you know, why isn't there an education on this? Why isn't there a formal education on this? Because it ends up being the default profession for all of us. You know, we go and get our degree in whatever the hell we want to get our degree in. And then we come out of the real world and we realize either, oh, I don't want to do this or B, I can't make enough money doing this. So, hey, I'm pretty good with people. You know, why don't I get into sales? Right. I heard you can make some money in that. But the problem with that is that our training usually is, hey, welcome aboard. Here's your territory. Here's your quota. Good luck. And what happens is because we get put, normal people get put into a situation where they now have to, uh, our, our monthly quota with limited education on how to do this the right way, uh, you know, normal people do some very abnormal things to, to hit their quota. You know what I mean? So they cut corners. They they basically lie, cheat, and steal just to do anything they can to hit that number so they don't get fired because they don't know other any other way. And that's why I think our profession has gotten such a bad rap is because you know we're we're forced to do stuff in our for our own benefit so we can actually maintain a job and still get getting paid. And so for me, when I I've always like had a I don't say anger, but just frustrated that this is the number one profession on the planet, but yet none of us are actually formally taught how to do it. So fast forward, I've always said, I'm not a risk taker. I'm a, I'm a calculated risk taker. Like I'm not the guy that's going to leave everything and live on my parents, you know, my parents' basement and eat ramen noodles until I can figure something out. I need to have something in place there in order for me to jump on board. And that's what happened with me with the training was, after I started my first company and I took this training and I scaled it up and then Staples bought us, I knew I didn't want to be in corporate. And when the opportunity came up to be a trainer, I was like, no, because most trainers I had come across were either failed sales professionals or professional presenters. And I didn't want to be part of that. Like if you've ever been through a training where you can tell the trainers never actually done what they're telling you what to do, I was like, gross, right? So, but Basho was unique in the sense that the trainers had to sell using the techniques to then go fill up their pipeline and train, right? So I started doing that and it was funny because my mom's always been, she's been a career counselor since I was a kid and I've had like a Myers-Briggs and a disc profile since I was like five years old, whatever. <laughs> and so I, I had this opportunity, which I, you know, I was kind of opening up my eyes to all these different things and I had this opportunity to be a trainer and I was like, that's kind of 
I never really thought of that, but whatever. So I asked my mom, I said, Hey ma, you know, I got this real interesting opportunity. Never thought of before to be a trainer. What are your thoughts? And she started laughing and she was like, John, she's like, I never wanted to tell you what to do in your career, but, um, I, if there's anybody I thought would be great at training or teaching, it'd be you. And I was like, really? So then I started researching my own personality, my own, you know, disc profile. I really started taking that stuff in seriously as far as what I liked. And I picked up this book because I had to do a training for for Basho, which was the company at the time. I had to do a training as part of the interview. So I and I'd never formally trained before. So I went I literally went to Barnes and Noble, picked up training for dummies and started reading it. And the first like there was 10 things of what, you know, you need to be successful in, in training. Right. It was like 10 characteristics. And as I read those, I'm like, holy shit, apparently I'm supposed to be a trainer because every <laughs> single one of them just lined up exactly with yeah. what I love doing. So some lessons learned for, for people out there as far as find and follow your passion is, you know, uh, sales specifically, it, it was hard for me when I got fired from Staples. Um, I had a little bit of an identity crisis. I was like, what am I supposed to do? I've been in tech sales for seven years. Is that what I am? Am I a tech sales guy? And my wife was the one who actually helped me think through this. She said, well, let's take a look back at your career and say, why were you successful in every role? Like what DeWalt, like, why were you successful? Why were you the top rep in DeWalt or at least in the region? Well, cause I love selling DeWalt power tools. DeWalt power tools were badass power tools and I loved selling them, right? Xerox was my next job. Why did, why was I one of the top reps at Xerox? Well, because it's not that I love copiers who gives a shit about copiers, but I genuinely thought that Xerox copiers were the best in the industry at the time. So I didn't have a problem representing them that way. And then my company thrive. I didn't care about technology like we did outsourced IT support. I cared about the people and I knew the people that I was representing would execute for our customers. So it flipped for me. It was don't go look for a job like it didn't matter what I sold. It mattered that I believed in what I sold. So you marry that to believing in what you sell, which I think is the most important thing you do. You can do in sales just to figure that out. Then marry that up to the sales training that I loved and worked for me. Now marry that up to the fact that I can now go deliver that to people while I do my job, right? Because I'm a sales, I'm a sales rep that happens to train. So that like my true passion is sales. It just so happens that I'm okay at sharing it with people as I go. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, your your vision is, you know, that that sales can be a more respected profession, right? Like mm-hmm. because um, when people say sales, you think or not you, but yep. maybe the regular person thinks, uh, you know, sleazy car salesman or saleswoman, door to door. When it's really, it's so much more evolved than that. Um, but you know, you know, you mentioned that it's the best profession when done right, the worst profession when not done right. So, where's the where is the disconnect? Like how how can we as a whole profession, anyone's in sales, get better? Uh, at their job and, and turn it into the best profession. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's funny you bring this up because you said you had Morgan on uh, a little while ago. So Morgan, I brought Morgan Ingram for those of you who don't know him. You know, I brought him on uh, about a year and a half ago. Shout out to Morgan. Yeah, there you go. And um, it was funny because, you know, that kid's got, you know, he's got energy for days. He's got passion for days. And, you know, he wants to be a you know number one motivational speaker out there, which I'm, I'm hopefully helping him get his get get there. Right. But one of the things we were doing, he's stuck in the, like when I grew up in sales, it was literally, here's your territory, go, right? So I had to self-educate a lot and I didn't have inbound leads. I didn't have any of these marketing, you know, these sales automation tools like Sales Loft or any of that stuff. It was just, here's a phone, here's an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of names, go. 
And so what I was able to do is I was able to round out real fast. You know what I mean? I, I actually think the new predictable, quote unquote, new 15 years at this point, but uh, the predictable revenue model of of the segmentation of roles has really stunted the growth of sales reps because it, it helps people, I guess, stay in sales a lot longer because the inbound role is like, you know, taking inbound leads and then you start doing outbound and then you make, you know, closing and it's SMB mid-market enterprise. So, but it takes, you know, a solid six to 10 years for a rep to be fully rounded and get experience at every single one of those levels. Whereas for me, it was like year one, you, you either figured it out or you didn't. Right. Yeah. And what it figured out for me was, I always say there's this point where, you know, you catch your sales groove, right? Where it's the day you wake up and, you know, you don't know, really know what happened, but sales is a little bit easier, right? And it, you don't know what happened or when it happened, but it's the day you start, it's, it's the day you stop pitching your solutions and you start having conversations about your solutions. It's the day you start caring more about what the client needs than, you know, what, uh, what goes in your paycheck, right? And that's oddly enough when your paycheck goes through the roof. But yeah. um, Morgan, it was funny because he came to me and he was in the sales loft world, right? The cadence world, coming up with a perfect message, putting the perfect cadence together and then running those numbers and looking at the results and that type of thing. And he was doing all right, but about six months in, he was like, John, you know, I'm just not based on all the work and based on what I was doing previously with Terminus, I'm just not getting the results that I would, I would expect to get with what we're doing right here. He's like, you know, what's going on? And I said, well, Morgan, let me give you an example. You know, it's not really, your results aren't really going to change until something, until something happens. And he was, he goes, what? I go, until you start giving a shit. And he was like, he was like, excuse me. Uh, I go, I, look, I know you give a shit about your job. I know you give a shit about working here and that type of stuff. But until you genuinely start caring about what the client's needs are, your results aren't going to change. And, and that meant, and for him, it was, it was a transition that he had to have because when you do this training, like when you do deliver this training enough times and you get the feedback from the reps like holy shit that was the best training i've ever been through or oh my god look at the results that i got by using the techniques that whatever right like when that happens that's when you start to say oh wow okay now i'm stopping pitching you stuff now i know the results that this shit drives right so it's the same thing with reps and in, in their companies is you know that's why I recommend every rep when they start a business, when they start for working for their client uh, companies is read the case studies, talk to customers, right? Why did they decide to work with that business and why are they continuing to work? What's the difference they genuinely and truly make, right? For the right client. Because once you figure that out, then you transfer that enthusiasm. So to your question about how do we elevate, I think it's unfortunately we're in a, a, a situation right now where we're, we're, we still are very driven by short term results like monthly quotas and those type of things. So I think that that takes away from the rep's ability to truly elevate this profession by doing it right. Because, again, it breeds bad habits that every single month you have to hit your quota. But it's the name of the game. So we have yeah. to deal with it. So I think we have to segment out and say, OK, how can I segment out a quality approach that puts some time in for me to do some real like real good shit for the top tier accounts? And then my quantity approach, how can I do that without turning into a marketing spam engine? And, and by kind of having that bifocal approach you're able to do the right things for at least some of your prospects and some of your clients. And hopefully that translates to the rest. But I think a lot of it has to do with a making sure that what you believe you, be, you genuinely believe in what you do. And I, and I, I hate to say this, but for people out there that don't believe in what you do, 
I guarantee you, your your jobs are not very satisfactory. You know what I mean? Even if you might be yeah. getting that paycheck that you're looking for, I bet you, you don't go home at night saying, man, I love, I, I bet you, you work for, you know, the whole Gary Vee thing. I bet you pray for Fridays, yeah, yeah. can't wait for the weekends and, and hate Mondays. Like right now it's Monday, right? A bunch of people out there who are making decent money, but don't believe in what they sell. I guarantee you they're waking up today going, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. You know, I got to get after it again. But if you genuinely care about what you do and believe that your solution makes a difference for the right client, I bet you're popping out of bed on Mondays being like, yep, can't wait to get to work here. And that's all the difference in the world. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's it's such a shift because you when you start in sales, you know, you you think of you might think of the sleazy person or you might think of a movie like, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street or yeah. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or whatever it may be. And you think that's that sales just dialing and closing people and like, yeah. you know, chest bumping in the office but it's about once you understand that one the whatever you sell your product or service like it makes it makes something better right it doesn't have to cure cancer or be this revolutionary change and that was something that i had to get over is like it is you know my you know SaaS technology you know the best thing since sliced bread it, it may or may not be but i believe that it works and i believe and i know that it helps our clients and understanding and getting to know you know our prospects and clients, getting to know them as people, genuinely caring about them, not just selling them something because I have a quota to hit every quarter, every year, but selling them the right thing um, has been a huge shift for me and other reps that I've talked to um, and understanding and making that flip. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it, it it takes a while. I mean, you mentioned those movies, right? I think you heard me. My favorite sales movie is not Glengarry Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street or Boiler Room. I think those are the worst sales movies ever made. Yeah. You know, I, I think that I mean, they're great movies. They're fun to watch, but they depict sales in all the wrong light. Right. The best sales movies out there. Uh, uh, Pursuit of Happiness is hands down, you know, the second it. best out there. Uh, that's that one really is about hard work and everything and what that drives. But then my favorite is Tommy Boy. Yeah. Right. Because that's the one if you if you watch Tommy Boy, you know, that's, you know, when I say catching your sales groove, before, you know, the scene, of the chicken wings. Right. Hey, you know, you look like a Helen. Right. That whole thing. Yeah. Like up until that point, he was pitching. He was every every he was trying to be his dad. Right. He was trying to basically read a script and say the same thing as dad. And, and he sucked. Right. You, you stick your head up a butcher's ass. No, that's not how you do it. Right. So so then in that one scene, he was himself. You know what I mean? He just kind of made fun of himself, self-deprecating. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden she was like, wow, you know, let me go fix it. And that's where he caught it. You know what I mean? He he caught his sales groove and he started to realize that it was it was about having fun. It was about, you know, connecting with the prospects. It's about, you know, talking to some, not trying to sell somebody. Right. You, you bring that up. You know, I I'd actually believe I don't believe I sell anybody anything. I my whole mentality when talking to people is I either help you reach your goals or or solve your problems. And if your goals aren't big enough and your problems aren't big enough, then why are we talking? Yeah. Right. But if your goals are big enough and your problems or your problems are big enough and I have a solution for you, then let's talk because we can make a difference here. And it's not just a little bit of a difference. Right. I'm not talking moving from like, you know, a six to a six point five here. I want to take you from a six to a nine. I want to take you from a six to a ten. And if I can do that, that's where I can really drive the sale. Right. I mean, we talk about challenge. A lot of people talk about challenger sale. Well, you know, unless you really genuinely understand what the client's priorities are and what their timeline is and those type of things, and and you know your solution can hit a home run, then you can you can and should be a challenger, 
right? But if you're just trying to hit your monthly quota and you're trying to manufacture urgency by offering discounts and stuff like that, you're not a challenger. You're just a jackass. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Like seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, challenger sale is like, I play challenger sale all the time because prospecting, I think prospecting is the number one thing that any rep can get great at. I don't care where you are in your career because yeah, there's one solution, every other problem at every other stage of the sales process, you know, negotiations, objection, handling, discount, all that stuff. A big fat pipeline solves all of it. Right. Like I don't, I don't discount anymore at all because I don't have to. Like I'm booked through June at this point. So if you want time on my calendar, it's going to be in June and it's going to be rate card. And if you're beating me up and if you're like, oh, come on, John, you know, you're twice as expensive, your closest competitor. I'm like, good for them. Actually, shit, good for me. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be ready for prices right now because I don't need, a, I always want to put myself in a position where I don't need your business. I want it. I genuinely want your business for the right client, but I don't need it. And that yeah. way I can sell the right way. Now, there's such, you've mentioned a few times, like the focus on monthly quotas, quarterly quotas, short-term goals, you know, for everyone in sales and for every, most businesses, especially if you're public. Yeah. How do you, this is a self-serving question as someone that is three months into uh, a sales management role. And I want the focus to be with, you know, my, my team that is, you know, we're all, you know, in our young to mid twenties, right? We, we, for all intents and purposes, we don't know shit. So I want the focus to be on growth, on getting mm -hmm. better. Um, how do you, or how would you recommend balancing that with you know the ever-present monthly goals that they have, quarterly goals that they have? Yeah, so it's tough, right? I mean, one of the sad things that I heard, this was back, I want to say, probably about eight years, seven or eight years ago during one of the election cycles or whatever it is, and I don't want to pick sides here, but one of the, one of the, um, people running for president said that there was an interview. I watched, I was watching this interview with them and they were talking about this survey that was done, which is if they were asked, they, uh, 50 of the top CEOs of the top 50 companies in the world were asked if you could do something today that in five years was a huge benefit to your employees, to your business, to your shareholders, to the environment, you name it. Right. But it, it took five years to get there, but it took one penny off of your stock price today. Would you do it? And 50 out of 50 of them said no. Wow. 50 out of 50 of them. And, and what, their, what their justification for it was, if I did that today, if I made a decision that had you know a negative impact on our stock price, I wouldn't make it to five years. So, which is sad, right? Which is, yeah. you know, we are, we are in this instant gratification world of, you know, and especially to your point of public, publicly traded companies. So how do we deal with that as, as frontline sales managers, right? Because we're getting pushed, you're getting pushed to hit those quotas for the team, right? And you got to push that down to your team. Um, I think it is, again, segmenting out quality versus quantity and making sure that, that yes, the volume is there with call blitzes and, you know, and targeted campaigns and those type of things while you section off some really high quality thought provoking. OK, now you have to think about these some. But but depending on where you are in your pipeline, you can mix and match in the sense that, say, your pipeline's killer. Right. And you're, you're totally full and you're, you're coming to the end of the month and you're looking good. Well, then focus shift the focus to a lot more quality than quantity. Whereas if your pipeline isn't where it needs to be, okay, then shift the focus a little bit more on the volume than not. But what I used to do as a manager, just to help with the, to your point of the continuous improvement and the, and the learning component of this, as opposed to just the results side of this was, um, 
was, you know, I always had this, I didn't have a lot of money, right? So when my first startup, we, we were self-funded, we had no money. You know, I was 25, right? You know, 26, 27 with some reps reporting to me and I had no fucking idea what I was doing. So me personally, what I would do is I would go out and I would take as many trainings as I could. You know, I would, I would go to the free workshops. I would go on, I would join the webinars or whatever it is. And I'd use that as an opportunity to, to, to learn about, you know, micro learning, is, is really what my focus was on to say, okay, we have a process in place here. We have a structure, whatever. Now let's micro learn. So the idea was I would stand up every single week with my team and I'd say, all right, everybody, what's the challenge we're trying to address this week? Right. And somebody would raise their hand and be like, or, you know, what are we getting our asses kicked on right now? And somebody would raise their hand and be like, John gatekeepers, you know, gatekeepers are absolutely killing us. Okay, cool. Who wants to own this one? And I would have one of my reps, and this is for you from a delegation standpoint, you know, I'd have one of my reps raise their hand, right? I'll, I'll take this one. And all I wanted them to do was literally lift up their laptop, do a Google search on best way to handle gatekeepers, right? Read a couple of articles, find, find an approach that, that they felt was good, that, that they felt we could apply, right? They would bring it back to the team and say, all right, everything. they do a little presentation. Okay, here's, here's you know, the challenges, gatekeepers, getting through gatekeepers. I was doing, I read this blog post that said, hey, here's a technique on how to get through gatekeepers. So now let's role play that out. Let's kind of get the bugs out. Let's make sure that we feel, we feel comfortable with this approach. And then everybody during the week, I used to have everybody carry a notepad, bigger than this, but uh, a notepad next to their desk. And they would write down at the top of the notepad, uh, challenge equals gatekeepers, approach equals whatever that approach was and write it out, right? And then there'd be a T-bar on their on their uh, notepad and it would be plus minus. And the whole idea was no matter what happens that week, no matter what happens, do whatever you want to do for everything else that happens. But when that thing comes up, when gatekeepers happen, you have to use that approach, right? And, and then you'd have to write plus minus. It worked, it didn't work. It worked, it didn't work. And then what I would do as a manager is I would collect all those pieces of paper at the end of the week and then add up the numbers and be like, all right, everybody, we hit 200 gatekeepers last week. We got you know 60 positives and 140 negatives. That's actually a pretty good approach for gatekeepers. Let's, pa- let's put that one on the list. Next week, what are we trying to figure out? John, this objection's killing us. Or John, hey, why don't we all try asking this question and seeing what happens, right? So if you think of micro learning along the way, um, you start to you start to figure out small ways that you can introduce learning into the environment and and then while still focusing on driving results. Right. That's a gr- yeah, that's a great idea. So that's a great idea. And and something for you, by the way, this also is is something from a benefit standpoint you can give to your reps. So for instance, you know, we had I didn't I didn't have a standard of, hey, you all get five hundred bucks a month to spend on your own learning or whatever it was, but if there was a webinar or a workshop coming up or a training that I thought was interesting that we need, that we probably wanted to go to whatever rep was having the best month or had the time to be able to do it. You know what I mean? If somebody wasn't hitting their numbers, I didn't want to have them take time to do this, but if they did, were hitting their numbers and that's why it ebbs and flows every single month, I would say, okay, cool. A benefit to you is I'm going to have you go and I want you to go attend that webinar. I want you to go attend that workshop, whatever it was. But then you have to come back and educate us on what you came, what came out of that. What was your learning lessons out of that? And they would almost be the quote unquote project manager for that thing. 
So whatever that thing was that they brought back and we were going to try to implement into our process, they would product manage it in the sense of they would tell us how it worked. They would show us how we were going to track it. And then they would be the one responsible for figuring out. And, and this is easy stuff. This isn't like, yeah. oh, heavy lifting. Oh, my God, I got to spend five days coaching people on this. This is you spend an hour on a webinar. You take some notes on it. You pull the one thing out of it. You tell us how to do it and you figure out how we're going to track it. In the end of the week, you tell us how we did. Right. Yeah. That way you had, I had this continuous learning mentality on the team where every single week we were picking and it was almost like you, ha and this is my belief right now, you have to take an agile approach to selling right now because what worked six months ago is not working right now, right? right? So any technique yeah. that you come up with, as soon as it's labeled as a technique or recognized as a technique, it doesn't work anymore. So you constantly have to be like, okay, well, what's new? What's new? What's new? What's new? Right. And that way you can start to figure things out. I mean, one more small, super tactical thing that everybody can do right now. And an easy way to, um, to gain knowledge is read the gong blog, man, the G O N G really good. I, I mean, mind blowing shit. <laughs> and, and what I'm, and it's all based on data of millions of calls, right? So it's not like it's my opinion anymore about what a sales rep or a sales trainer thinks is a good idea. It's like, no, no, no. There's data that says this works. Let's at least use that as a baseline and then compare it to something that we're doing and split test it. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, they are, they have just some great stats there and we do a monthly session with our team uh, called iron sharpens iron where we'll pick a topic and we'll come with ideas of, you know, what's stopping us similar to what you're saying. Um, here's some ideas, here's some blogs, books, whatever, podcasts that we've listened to that are, talk about this. And every single time, you know, one of the best resources is is the Gong blog because it, it just has such great data around it's it. It's stupid. I mean, yeah, I actually called awesome. up Chris Orlob. I, I, I'm work, we're working directly with Chris now because I called him up and I said, all right, when are you guys going to start your own training organization? Yeah. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, dude, I'm not kidding you right now. And I don't want to put myself out of a job. And thankfully all that gong data, you know, reinforces my stuff too. But if anybody out there right now is seriously considering getting into being an entrepreneur and likes training, for instance, all you have to do is go to the gong blog, take a data point on something and put a three slides around that data point of what to do about it. And you will be a better trainer than 95% of the trainers out there right now. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Epic. Yeah. I'm dead serious on that one. Like if yeah. I was thinking about getting into training right now and being like, Oh, what should I do? I would go read the gong blog and I would develop, I would take one cool data point and then come up with like a strategy around how to do that and then go out and deliver it. Cause it's, it's that good. And it's based on facts, not fiction. Yeah. Yeah. You got to check that out if you're, if you're in sales and, and I want to take a little bit of a step back from the sales approach and get a little bit more into John Barrows. Right. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, I found, I, yeah, I, I found it. It was wide open on your site and on your LinkedIn, your 12 guiding principles. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I was like, oh shit, that's, that's money. That's money. So I want to, I have two questions. You know, one is how and when did you develop those principles? And then the background or the second is like, how do they guide you on a daily course or, or weekly or yearly course? Yeah, it's interesting you bring it up because I, I think there's um, I was actually just watching a blog or LinkedIn post from uh, Richard Harris today about, you know, interviews. Right. And he's like, you know, you're not being interviewed. You need to interview. Right. So you're you're interviewing the companies. And yeah, I yeah. tell reps a lot of this all the time. It's like when you <clears throat> when you're looking for a job, 
I think the most important thing any of us can do is literally outline what your values are. What are your values as a human being? What do you truly value? Okay. Personally. And then once you really, truly understand what your values are, then, and you know, a lot of people call this your why, you know, those type of things, but it's not just your why of why do you do what you do? It's the core values that drive what you do. Okay. Based on that, then you start looking for organizations that, that fit those values. And you know, when I was at Rainmaker, for instance, I was, I was being asked to speak at a panel and it was on communities. And she asked, you know, John, what's the most important part of, of building a community? I said, well, you have to build a community based on shared values because you and I can disagree on opinions, on whatever. As long as we have core values in play, then it's going to be a healthy debate. It's going to be a healthy discussion. But you and I, if we do not have our core values in line, it's going to be a disaster, which is why, for instance, why we are with where we are with politics right now. Like we've, and, and just as, as a small subs, you know, and I don't want to get too much into this, but we have lost our core values as America, for instance. You know what I mean? It used to be Democrats or Republicans and whatever, but at least we were Americans and we believed in the Ameri- like the American core values. Now, those core values, you ask two different people on, on both sides and it's like, nope, that's not our values anymore. So that's the problem with where we are right now because now people are just yelling at each other, all right? So that resonated with me and you asked like when I did it. I, I actually don't know. Um, I know I did it early. I think I did it at at my, like when I first started with my first startup thrive because I just wanted to make sure that I was I was you know that that I knew why I was doing what I was doing and how I was guiding myself and so but I think it was it was partly when I started to become a manager because I had brought in two or three or four sales reps and and they didn't work. Like I, I wasn't a good enough manager to, to get them to work. And a, a lot of it was because I think our, I, I didn't share with them where I was coming from. Yeah. So one of the things I did was I, I outlined my 12 guiding principles. And I said to them, you know, one of them is work hard and smart. Like people, oh, I'm sorry, work smart and hard. You know, everybody says work smart, bull- yeah, yeah, smart yeah. bullshit. You have to work your ass off. You know, everybody asked me, John, what's the secret to success? You know, you've been successful in your career and all that stuff. I'm like, uh, working your ass off, period. Like, I'm not that smart of a kid. I went to a state school, drank my way through college, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I'll just work harder than you. And I know it. You know what I mean? So right. so I'm like, I'll beat out the smartest kid on the, blo- on the block any day of the week when it comes to work ethic. Okay. So work smart and hard. Um, you know, find, there's another, find your passion or find something else to do. Not follow your passion, find your passion. Right. Mm-hmm. All those things. So I did that for myself to kind of keep a guiding light on decisions I made, you know, you know all that stuff. And then it made it great from when I would hire reps because I would look, I would say to them, I would say, hey, I just want to let you know, here's my, my 12 guiding principles of how I live my life. So I'm not saying you have to have these exact same guiding principles, but if any of your principles or values conflict with these, we need to have a conversation because, you know, there's going to be a point where we disagree. And if we disagree on a value, then it's going to be hard for us to come to a conclusion on this one. Um but if we, if you agree to those, just know that moving forward, this is where my feedback's coming from. You know what I mean? So yeah. for instance, if I'm getting into the office, when I say work hard and smart, I used to get into the office at every morning at six o'clock in the morning and I would stay until eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. Cause I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any response, you know, any real responsibilities or anything like that. And I just wanted to be successful. So if I, if I hired a kid and they were going home, you know, they were coming in at nine o'clock in the morning and they were going home at four o'clock, four thirty in the afternoon, 
look, if you're hitting your num- if you're crushing your numbers, then fucking I don't give a shit, right? But as soon as your numbers were even questionable and you were doing the nine to four, nine to five thing, and I and you were seeing me get agitated with you, that's where it was coming from. Cause I was in on the weekends. I was giving up my Friday nights to work. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. Yeah. I wasn't going out and getting, you know, rip raw and hammered with my friends every single fucking night. I mean, I did, don't get me wrong, I did plenty of partying. But uh my point is is like if if you didn't believe in that stuff, then you got fired pretty quick because our values were off. And so I really do think that any individual, any manager should sit down and really have a very strong conversation with themselves about what do they value, write those down. Um, and then anybody who's looking for a job or an employment should have their own values and then and marry those up to look for companies to work for. Yeah, that, that, it's something that I come across a lot um, from you know a lot of people that I look up to, whether it's someone like you know Tony Robbins or uh, mm-hmm. you know Michael Gervais, the sports psychologist. There's just a lot of biographies you read that people lay out whether it's one or it, whether it's 12 or however many the philosophies or the principles that guide their life so that when you have that time when you're hiring someone or you feel like shit or you're in a slump or whatever it is you go well, am I living up to these principles you have a tough decision to make you know well uh, let's just follow the principles you know similar sure. to uh, you know like Ray Dalio's book where he he set the guidelines and you know you kind of follow through based on whatever those models are and that's what guides your life I'll give you an example. So I brought on a friend of mine, uh, Chris Merrill, who's my new CRO. Um, I grew up with the kids since we were, you know, five years old, and he's now my CRO responsible. But his main focus is uh, sponsorships and, and partnerships, right? And I told him straight up, I go, look, when we look for sponsorships, the number one criteria, number one criteria on spon- on taking money from somebody, right, to to sponsor a webinar or pod- whatever that we're doing, number one criteria is ethos. They have to be on the same page with us as far as ethos is concerned and their values of how they see sales and this and this industry, because I don't care. Like you could write me a check for a million dollars if you're a douchebag company, like I'm not going to work with you, period. Like I'll give you an example and I'll straight up call them out. Grant Cardone. If Grant Cardone's company called up and wanted to wanted to partner partner with me, I don't give a shit how much money they wanted to give me. (laughs) Fuck off, because I genuinely disagree with that with that person's approach to selling you know what i mean and just right. approach to, to to shit in general right so stacks of cash and all that stuff like that's glenn gary glenn ross that's wolf of wall street you know what i mean yeah and i tell people all the time oh come on john wolf of wall street's a great like you and i don't agree on values when it comes to sales if you think wolf of wall street is a fantastic sales movie and that's how sales should be done you and i fundamentally do not agree so guess what you're not going to like my training you're not you know what I mean? Because because you're going to be like, oh, well, what about just, you know, stuffing it down their throat and telling them, well, what the fuck? You don't like revenue, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, OK, that's not the way I sell. So you're you're probably going to walk out of my training going. I didn't like that training because guess yeah. what? You and I values do not do not align. So with Chris, I said, number one is ethos. Second is, does their product align with our solution? But if, if they're not good people, fuck off. Right. Yeah. And that's really important even for personal relationships you know your friends or oh whoever God. it is you got to have the same values i'm sure you, you know same with with your family i've cut um, off i mean i've cut off people out of my life straight up who i've realized at later stages of my life did not share my values yeah it's tough uh, it so i i saw when when doing some research that you spent three or so months working with um with the welches Jack Welch, yeah. and I've, yeah. I've never seen any write up or or heard you talk about it. 
maybe I just I haven't found it. it no. Was there any takeaway or interesting story or lesson that you learned from that stint? Yeah. So background on that one. This is so a lot of lessons learned. Um, uh, one of them. So I'll, I'll pick a few. I got fired from Staples um, after. So they acquired us. This guy Jack Well. Uh, this guy Jay Baitler had acquired us. He was he was the head of like a twelve billion dollar part of Staples. He was the one who acquired us. Um, when they were doing, and I was, I don't know, 27 when they were acquiring us. And so again, I had no idea. Neither, none of us as a management team had no idea like what, what to do. Right. Cause the first time we're small kids, you know, so we were going through the interview process. So we brought in a, a consultant to come and talk to us about, Hey, this is what to expect. And this is what you should probably say. And I suck at, I suck at lying. I like, I I'm about as transparent as it gets, but this guy, but I was a minority shareholder. I didn't want to screw anything up. So this guy basically told us what to say. Right. So now Jay comes in and interviews us one by one and he gets to me and I do my thing. And he's like, so what do you think about the interview? And I'm like, Oh, it's going to be great. And I can't wait and blah, blah, blah. And in the back of my head, I'm going, you guys are going to fucking ruin us. Like you're, you know, how you're going to fire us all in six months is going to be a disaster. So that obviously came through. So fast. So he didn't, he started off with a negative perception of me in the beginning Uh, that didn't uh, get any better. Uh, And so eventually a year later he fired me. And I always say there's, there's this one closing technique called the, uh, uh, the doorknob close where after you lose a deal, you ask the client, Hey, what's the real reason I lost? You know what I mean? Not to try to resell them or anything like that, but just to genuinely understand what happened. And I've done that throughout my career. Anytime I thought I had like, I I was convinced that I, we were the right solution and we had this deal and I lost after the dust settled, I would reach back out to the client and say, Hey, for my own personal and professional development, would you, would you help me understand what happened here? And you know, maybe one out of 10 of them will give you some feedback on that. And that, but that feedback is fantastic. So that's what I did with Jay after he fired me. He said, you know, I said, hey, Jay, just for my own personal and professional development, help me understand. And he was so open to giving me feedback and so appreciative of me coming to him. He said, you know, John, the the fact that you came and asked me what happened here tells me more about you than I knew in the uh, year of working with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I learned in that, that was like my MBA, like that hour with Jay was my MBA. Right. Because the the stuff that I learned in there was and you can even look at that one. It's like the biggest learning lesson of my career. That's the blog post on that one. What happened? And as this relates to Jack, then I then I get this opportunity where this kid reaches out to me on LinkedIn and he's like, hey, John, I got this opportunity to work for you for the top CEO in the in the world. And I'm like, I thought it was pure spam. Like, fuck you. Right. I don't I didn't remember who the kid was, you know, so whatever. Second email, he hits me up. He's like, John, it's to work for Jack Welch. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? All right, you got my attention. So you might be full of shit, but the name Jack Welch pops up because he's my all-time business idol and all that stuff, right? Um, So he gets on the phone and this was one of my guiding principles, which is what goes around comes around. Early in my career, this kid was looking for a job. So one of my buddy's companies was hiring and he's like, hey, John, would you mind just talking to this kid just to see if he's a good fit for me? So I was kind of interviewing this kid for that job. And it was in an IT services field that I was familiar with. So I talked to the kid and I gave him some feedback and some kind of life lessons or guidance or whatever. I don't even really remember. And he didn't end up taking the job, but he and I was like, when I got on the phone with him, fast forward for this position, he goes, you don't remember me, do you? I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I, I have no idea who you are. And he goes, well, about seven or eight years ago, you gave me some career advice. You know, you gave me an hour of your time, which I knew was extremely valuable. 
and you gave me some career advice to change the trajectory of my career. And I was like, oh, cool. He's like, so when this offered, now I'm a recruiter and now I, I recruit for Jack Welsh and his new online MBA program that he's, that he's doing. And you were the first one that popped up. And I was like, no shit, right? So <laughs> yeah. going back to what goes around, comes around, that's a learning lesson. Now, fast forward, I get to meet with Jack Welsh. Well, now, mind you, I thought I was I thought I was just going to meet with Susie. So Susie and Jack. Right now, Susie's like pretty high up there for her own accord. Right. So I in preparation for this meeting was down in Florida. Um, their receptionist said, oh, well, Susie's really looking forward to meeting with you. And I'm like, what about Jack? And she goes, well, he might show up. So I was like, all right. So this flipped from me, inter them interviewing me to me interviewing them because I had my own company had a good thing going. So why would I go work down? Even if it is Jack, right, Walsh, right. why am I going to right? So I start, so I come up with questions. Now, mind you, Jack Welsh Management Institute, they had tied themselves to this Chancellor University, which was this piece of shit college in, in, in Cleveland, Ohio, piece of shit, like nonprofit college in Cleveland, Ohio. And my first literal question to Jack was going to be like, Jack, what the fuck? Like you could, you could have called up Harvard, MIT, anybody and said, Hey, I want to do an MBA. And they would have said, yes, please. Why this piece of shit college? Right. Cause his name, his whole thing is radical candor. Like candor is the most important right. thing. Right which I'm a big believer. So that was going to be my first question to him. Now, mind you, I'm sitting there. I go to the interview. Uh, I, I sit down and I'm getting ready. I'm expecting Susie to come in. Right. And it's in this tiny little office with like total startup office. Right. Not something you'd expect from Jack Welsh, Billy, almost billionaire. And all of a sudden across, you know, Jack Welsh shows up in the doorway and he's like, he looks down and he goes, John Barrows. And I look up, I'm like, Jack Welsh. And uh, he's like, get in here. Let's have a conversation. And I was just like, holy shit. So now <laughs> I don't get nervous very much anymore at all. Right. But now I'm sitting across the table from the man, like the man. Right. And I'm like, and I'm about to ask my question. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm coming straight strong right out of the gate. And before I even get a word out of my mouth, he goes, so, so let me tell you about this bag of shit college chance university. I got myself involved. <laughs> it's like, boy, did I make a fucking mistake? And I was like, oh, Thank God, you know, because he's a Boston kid, right? So him and I were just like, oh, yeah. and I was like, oh, fucking hey, Jack, thank you, right? And it just went straight into like just a really good conversation. And fast forward from there, so it was like radical candor, like that, the interview, right? And going back to another learning lesson, I was interviewing him as much as he was interviewing me to make sure that there, our values were aligned and our values were very clearly aligned as far as how business was done because I had already known and done my research on him. Then they were looking for an interview. They, then they were looking for a reference, Okay. Guess who I used as a reference for, to get a job with Jack and Susie Welsh, Jay Baitler, the yeah. guy that fired me from Staples. Yeah. yeah. And so, because, and you know what Jay, so I gave him Jay Baitler, the guy who fired me. And you know what Jay told Jack? If you don't hire John Barrows, you're an idiot. Wow. So literally the, probably one of the worst things that's happened to me in my career was the best thing that ever could have happened to me in my career. And this is another learning lesson from that whole experience. And going back to Staples was I wrote a blog post on this one called Stop Doing What You're Supposed to Do. And this aligns with kind of values and stuff like that. Two experiences in my life that woke me up to stop doing what I was supposed to do. One was my first uh, uh, fiance. Yeah, I was in, I was in college. I got my first, you know, I, I started dating this girl at the end of my freshman year and I locked into her, right? So for, four, you know, three years in college and then three years after that, I even moved her up to Boston, everything. I knew it wasn't right. It didn't feel right. I knew this wasn't right. But what do you do after being with somebody for seven years, right? 
right. you get married, right? Like that's what you do, right? I mean, you know, after two or three years, fuck it. But after seven years of somebody, like, ugh, I, I, you're supposed to get married, then you're supposed to buy a house, then you're supposed to have a kid, right? Now, thank God she ended. So we got engaged. Thank God she ended up breaking it off with me. So she she left me, right? And I was devastated. But like literally two days later, I woke up and I was like. It was like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders. Like, oh my God, like that was probably the best thing personally that's ever happened to me. Now with the woman that I should be with, my wife and my daughter, and I'm super happy. Business-wise, Thrive getting bought by Staples. I knew Staples wasn't right. I knew me and Staples was not right. I mean, I was fighting it hard, but I was doing what I was supposed to do. I didn't even have a plan B in the sense that I was just grinding, right? I was like, fuck it. I'm going to work. I'm going to make this happen. Legit. And even though I knew it was wrong and they ended up firing me, which again, devastating, but like two or three days, I mean, seven years, I had started this company. You cut my arm. I bled blue the whole thing. And they fired me like, what the fuck? This is my company. And, and, but then literally two or three days later, woke up again and said, like, yup, best thing that could happen. So now my whole mentality is stop doing what you're supposed to do. Right. Like do what you do, do what you believe based on your values you should be doing. And if somebody doesn't appreciate that, go find something else to do. Love that. Stop doing what you're supposed to do. And as we wrap this thing up, um, we got, you know, two last questions for you. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the last one will be just, you know, where we can find out more about, you know, your blog, your podcast, everything that you're doing, which again, I highly endorse for anyone that's in sales or just wants to be successful. But before that, uh, there's a lot of people listening that are in their, you know, mid, late 20s, early 30s. They might be in sales. They might not be in sales. They might run a business, whatever it is. But they're kind of stuck in a slump. And, you know, they're uh, we're a quarter way into the year. And things might not have turned out the way they wanted when they set those New Year's resolutions or when they set their goals for the year and they're hitting a slump and they hate their job and uh, <laughs> they don't know what to do. They don't know where the paycheck's coming. Yeah. you have any simple words of advice uh for those folks two uh one is what's your five-year plan all right i used to think this was a stupid question when you would go through interviews and the manager would say oh what do you want to be in five years oh, i want to be a manager that type of bullshit <laughs> i don't I, I actually used to think it was a joke now i think it's really important and i think it's probably an experience thing from my standpoint being 43 at this point in my career um but i would really sit down and ask yourself life-wise forget about job forget about money for a second here five years out where do you want to be right? What kind of lifestyle do you want to be living in five years? Do you want to have a wife and kids and house and that type of stuff? Do you want to be traveling the world? What does that look like? Okay. And then based on that, and that, cause I think five years is a good benchmark. Anything beyond that, who the hell knows what's going to happen. Um, but based on that benchmark now back into how much money do you need to be able to make and what kind of job do you need to have to be able to live that lifestyle? And then back into what you're doing today. Because look, every everybody, every rep who asks me, hey, John, I'm not really happy in my job right now. You know, what what do you suggest I do? I, I ask them, what's your five-year plan from a from a lifestyle standpoint? What's your five-year plan? And most of them don't have it. They don't have a really clear picture of that. But if they do, look, as long as whatever you are doing right now is gonna help you reach that goal, then you're gonna it's gonna be way more satisfying doing it. But if you don't have a plan, you're like, for instance, I could eat a shit sandwich for a year if you need me to, if it's going to get me to that next level of my career, that's going to help me achieve my overall goal. 
But if I don't have a plan or a goal or anything like that, I'm just going to look, keep looking for better shit, shit sandwiches. You know what I mean? Like this one tastes a little bit better than that one. Like I see SDRs all the time being like, oh, well, you know, I don't like this one. I'm not making enough money and blah, blah. And, you know, I'm sitting in the role. It's only been, you know, it's been nine months and I haven't gotten fucking promoted. It's like, first of all, you got a 40 year career ahead of you. So b- slow the fuck down. <laughs> uh, second of all, like, what's your plan? Well, I want to go get another one for another company. So what? So you can sit for another nine months being an SDR and be unhappy, right? But so have that plan first and foremost. And then if you're in a negative tailspin, um, look for small stuff to to start getting you in the positive direction. One of the best things that I one of the best things I ever did for a friend of mine who was on a negative tailspin was part, and this was personally, so you can do this professionally as well. As I told her, usually when you're in a negative tailspin, it's because you have that lens on. You know, everybody knows sales sales in life is a lot about momentum, right? When things are going poorly, they tend to keep going poorly, right? When things are going positive, they keep going positive, right? There's something just about like an aura that happens around those those type of things. So when things are going negative, you got to stop them from going negative and you got to start looking at them from a positive perspective. So an exercise that anybody can do right now if they're in a shitty situation or just really on a negative tailspin is take a notepad with you. And while you go around uh, throughout your day, write down every positive thing that happens to you. And I mean, as small as you think it is, somebody opened the door for you. Somebody uh, let you go, uh, you know, take a right on red or somebody let you into traffic or something like that. Um, You hit a green light on your way to work, whatever those things are. Okay. Literally write them down, just the positive ones. Okay. You'd be amazed at what happens at the end of the day. You end up having a whole list of positive shit that happens to you. And then you start changing your perspective yeah, yep. because there's way too much negativity right now in the world as far as news and all those other things. So it's so easy to get caught up in the negative tailspin. You have to start looking proactively for positive things to get out of that thing. So goal setting and and looking for the small things to turn things around are two, two, two very tactical things that anybody can do right now to, to get things back on track. You got to be positive. And as my man, Tony Robbins says, trade uh, expectation for appreciation. There you go. All right. Change where, your shoes musts and all that other stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> where, John, where can we find you? I appreciate your time, man. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, really just the website, it gives everything right. So jbarrows.com, um, the letter J B A R R O W S.com. You'll see that I have a resource library on there where I give away most of my stuff for free. Um, you know, I got my blog that, uh, that you talked about briefly. I appreciate. And then anything on social, right? John M as in Michael Barrows. That's my handle on Instagram, Snapchat, um, you name it, LinkedIn. Um, I usually try to, you know, get to everybody. So if you have questions, those are the easiest ways to get to me actually. Um, Instagram and Snapchat stories, those type of things. I'll get you right back on those. And then the one thing I would, uh, I'm going to pre promote this cause it's probably the thing I'm most excited about that I'm working on right now, which is, um, uh, everybody's asking me, John, when am I going to write a book? Right. And, uh, well, yeah. And I've been, you know, I've been fighting it. Well, first of all, I don't, I'm not a big reader, so I'd be a little bit of a hypocrite to write a fucking book. Uh, so I don't, cause I don't really like reading, but I like reading blogs and stuff like that. I think most books are full of shit. But, um, and the other thing is like, what am I going to write that hasn't already been written about sales? You know, that type of thing. So, but I am writing a book. Um, but it's going to be, it's a good children's book and it's called, I want to be in sales when I grow up. So the whole idea there is I want to change sales from a default profession to a profession that kids think of early Um, because when done right, like, you know, this is full circle here. When sales is done right, it's the greatest profession in the world. When done wrong, it's the worst. And I think if, if we stop looking at sales as the default profession and start educating kids on really the true core fundamentals of what sales truly should be and is, 
early in their careers, then we'll start to breed this whole other group of sales professionals that will elevate the profession uh, to the level of respect it deserves in the, in the near future. That's a, that's a great idea. When's that coming out? So it's to print right now. I think it's probably another six weeks. So it looks like I'm guessing, you know, probably sometime early May is that is when we'll be pushing it out there. Awesome. I had not seen that. I don't know if you've been promoting it yet. But... No, I haven't been promoting it yet because I just want to, I'm trying to keep it under wraps and I want to kind of wait until we got the, we actually have the product to start doing the heavy push on it. So, but, so uh, but this is an exclusive take, yeah. first take here uh, a Monday morning with Millennial Momentum. There you go. <laughs> awesome, man. All right, John, well, I appreciate your time. Uh, again, everyone highly recommend if you're in sales, management, entrepreneurship, check out John's content. He is the man. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you for listening to that episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. Remember, you can follow me at Tommy Tahoe, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, millennialmomentum.net. Please subscribe and review this show on iTunes. It means the world of difference. Have a great day. Be awesome. Out. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to an episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alemo, Tommy Tahoe in the house. November 30th, last day of the second to last month of the year. You're probably hearing this on December 1st. To kick off December, the last month of what a freaking crazy year this has been. Um, excited for this podcast for a lot of reasons. Um, first and foremost, coming off of a big time uh, five day Thanksgiving rest, relaxation, vacation, so to speak, of really not doing a hell of a lot. I, I, uh, I, you know, I've been spending time with family and um, eating and drinking and sleeping, a uh, little exercise, uh, learned how to play chess uh, and, and, and not very good at it, but it was all good. So, um, and I got engaged or I got engaged a couple of weeks ago, but have gone, you know, kind of public with it uh, as of this weekend with uh, my now fiance. So life is coming at you fast, uh, no matter what happened in 2020, um, there's still a lot of good that can come out of it. And a lot of good has come out of it for me. So um, I'm just very grateful and very thankful that you're joining in, you're listening in uh, for all the good that's happening in the world and in my world, hopefully in your world. And, and hopefully we can all see the, the beauty uh, around us in life. Uh, for today's episode, though, man, it's a good one. Um, I got the king of SaaS, John Barrows, and you know the, the the there's a lot of bad things that can happen in sales. Deals can go haywire at the last second. People can hang up on you. Negotiations can get brutal. You could lose a major renewal if you're in that business. Um, and you know the cure to everything, though. I can't really find anything that this is not a cure for. Is a big fat pipeline, and that's what that's what my guest John Barrows has to say. And and I agree. Full, uh, you know, wholeheartedly that, you know, negotiation for a contract becomes a lot easier when you have a big pipeline. Prospecting becomes a lot easier when you have a fat pipeline. One-on-ones with your boss become a lot easier when you have a fat pipeline, when you got a lot of deals in the pipe that are legit, that are real, that you're working. Uh, it just lets you be more creative. It lets you flow more freely. It makes you more confident. And, um, you know, the only way to get that, to make that happen is, is to prospect and to treat your territory like you're the CEO of that business. And that's what John comes here to talk about. Uh, 
you could check out my first episode. So I had an episode with John, you know, about two years ago, and uh, it was really good. You, you could check it out. Uh, I think it's it's episode one eleven or one twelve, and we talk about his origin story. We talked about, you know, he was in sales. He was at Staples. Um, you know, he went over to Basho to, to do some some sort of training uh, there and sell training. And really talking about, you know, his 12 guiding principles. If you want to know John as a person, as a man, as a leader, as a salesperson, uh, as a father, you can listen to that episode. Uh, he really gives his origin story. And I think that is a great place to maybe set some context if you're not familiar with John or if you want to learn more about him. Uh, in this episode, I want to bring him back to get more tactical, to get more into you know, what he's teaching on a day-to-day -day basis. If you do not know, John, if you are in SaaS sales, software sales, technology sales, and you do not know John Barros, I'll tell you right now, you are behind the curve. You do not know this guy. You are behind the curve. Um, he works with, yeah, I've labeled him the king of SaaS. I hope I get credit for that, but he's working with Salesforce, Tableau, Slack, Box, you know, DocuSign, pretty much all of the, the, the big companies, successful sales companies in SaaS, you know, a lot of them he works with. He worked, uh, he came at my uh, former employer, Tech Target, and helped us out uh, a year or two ago as well. So, uh, and I'm a, I'm a fanatic reader of his content, what he writes, his Make It Happen podcast is great. So um, first of all, you got to check him out. But, but we talk in this episode specifically about, you know, a lot about prospecting. What's so interesting about John is that not only uh, is he a CEO? Not only does he run his own training company, but he's also a salesperson. He prospects every day. He not only teaches his clients to build pipeline, but he makes sure he has his own pipeline. And he does that through LinkedIn. He makes calls. He asks for referrals. He sends cold emails and personalizes them uh, on top of running six to 10 training sessions every week, right? So uh, for his clients. So the guy's an animal. Um, we're going to talk about uh, how and when to send personalized emails. We're gonna, he's gonna walk through how he goes about his monthly prospecting, which I think is really cool. Um, he answers a few questions from the audience, including one about uh, video, not only how to use it, but how, if you're a leader of a team, to get your team to uh, adopt video in their sales process. Um, what else do we talk about? He, we talk about why he wears a make it happen shirt. Pretty much every single workday, uh, you're not going to see him on video probably without that shirt. And if you're watching on YouTube, he does wear that shirt during this interview as well. Um, and he shares also about, you know, uh, some of his time management. Friday, my day is something that he created to uh, give him and his employees a little bit of space, a little bit of breathing room for creativity and, uh, and mental health on Fridays uh, this year, given everything happening in 2020. So, um, a few things you can do if you like what we have to say here in this episode. Number one, first and foremost, go check out John. Go follow his blog, uh, jbarros.com. Go follow him on LinkedIn. He's got 350,000 followers on LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, he's all there. Instagram is pretty funny. He's got some, uh, some funny stories that he does, and he gives you a more behind-the-scene version of who he is as a person, which I think is cool. Go to his online training portal. It's like the Netflix for sales. I've actually uh, bought it. This is not an ad, but I've, I've actually personally invested in it uh, for a year subscription uh, and used it to get myself ramped up in my new role uh, at Skilljar. So uh, as an AE, I'm using it to learn how to be prospect better, how to set my goals better, things like that. Negotiate. 
It's great. It's got content with Morgan Ingram, Richard Harris, a few other people. So it's great content there. So first thing, go show them some love. Second, uh, show me some love. Uh, so you can, um, first of all, you know, subscribe wherever you're listening on Apple or Spotify. The, the number one thing you can do to help me out. Uh, I do all this content. I've been doing it for three and a half years. I don't make a penny off this podcast. Uh, this is episode 185. Um, and the reason I don't have ads because I want it to show value. So the way you can, can help me out is leave a review on Apple, subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube. You could check me out, see what I look like, check out John and his Make It Happen shirt. That's really the best way to connect with me. If you want to chat with me, I respond to every message on LinkedIn, Tom Alamo, Twitter and Instagram, Tommy Tahoe. I'll give you a little bit more behind the scenes of what I'm all about. Uh, but really, the number one thing you can do is, is leave a review uh, for the podcast and, and share it out with someone. Share it out with someone that um, that you think could really use some help in sales because John drops some great content. And and really, the most important thing you can do is, is use the info. Use what John says. Take notes today. Uh, take one to two things that you can put into your daily sales practice for your prospecting or otherwise and use it. Um, that's what he wants you to do. That's what I want you to do. The whole purpose of the show is so that you can sell better, you can live better, you can have a better career. And uh, the only way to do that, it's great to soak in information. I love doing that, but you got to actually use it. So without further ado, you've heard enough of me. Uh, hopefully you subscribe to the podcast. Hopefully you, you leave a review. It takes a minute to do. Um, but without further ado, let's bring you into my conversation with my good friend, John Barrows. Let's go. John Barrows. Good morning, man. Welcome to Millennial Sales. Let's make it happen. Hey, what's going on, Tom? I appreciate you having me on here, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to ask just to kick it off. You got the make it happen shirt on every video podcast that I see you've got it on. Do you wear one? Do you have five, one for every day of the week or, or how's that set up? I got about 50 of them, man. Yeah. So I wear, <laughs> I wear one every day of the week. It, it actually stemmed from when I was doing sales kickoffs, uh, actually last year when I do sales kickoff month, this one's going to be weird because it's all going to be virtual, but usually sales kickoffs are, you know, my busiest time of year. So January, February. And what was happening was I would, you know, five days a week, I'm going from San Francisco to Vegas to, Cal, you know, to wherever. And it's like one day, one out, five days a week. And for me, I could get when I was before I was dressing in a, in a collared shirt, jeans and my shell toes, right? With that, I could get three days in a backpack. So three collared shirts, three pairs of underwear, three t-shirts, whatever. The jeans will last three days, whatever. But fourth day, I had to bring a carry-on. And carry-ons are a pain in the ass when you're going from place to place to place to place to place, right? So I was like, how can I get five days in a backpack? And I was like, well, shit, I like the, you know, my tagline here, make it happen. Like that makes it easy. So I, with a blazer on, I could get five t-shirts, five pair of underwear, five pair of socks with a blazer and jeans. And that's five days in a backpack. And so it got me there. And I didn't do it because, you know, you hear um, Zuckerberg and, you know, a lot of the executives, they talk about how they wear the same thing right? Zuck wears the same exact thing. Um, what's his name? Um, Apple, you know, he always used to wear the same stuff. And it was because they, they wanted to reduce, they call it decision fatigue, right? Where they make so many decisions in a day that they wanted to remove as many of those basic small decisions because those pile up. And as much as I thought that was kind of a joke, now that, I de now that I'm in that zone, it's absolutely true. 
I wake up in the morning, I grab my make it happen shirt, my jeans, and I'm done. I don't even think about what I'm wearing and it's awesome. So yes, I wear one every day. I was oh, curious if it was, if it was purely branding or if it was like a decision fatigue, like Steve Jobs type of vibe that you had going on. It was a little bit, it was a little bit of everything. It would more, it was actually the, for me to get on an airplane, you know what I mean? Like, so I didn't have yeah, to yeah. do a carry on, but it, it led to a decision fatigue and also the branding part of it, because it's also a mentality. Like my mentality is make it happen. So it's almost like every morning when I put the shirt on, I have that mentality and I'm ready to go. I love it. I love it. So uh, it looks like from following you around on Instagram that you've been traveling a ton uh, in the last few months too with the, did you buy an RV or did you rent one or what's, what's going on yeah, with that? That's a, that's a whole nother story, man. Like I've, like I <laughs> never thought of myself as an RV guy in any way, shape or form. I mean, my wife and I had some bucket list trips this year, right? We were going to go to the Galapagos, like the Caribbean, you know, Caribbean and a bunch of other places. And obviously that all got canceled. So I'm like, all right, well, fuck, you know, screw it. Let's go. Let's like kind of take our vacationing into our own hands. And kind of like COVID wise, we felt like an RV was my daughter's nine too. So I thought it'd be a cool time to take a trip across the country. <clears throat> but when we looking into them, they were super popular. So renting one was kind of a pain in the ass for the time slots that we wanted. We ended up going to the dealer to check it out just to see if we could sit in one for hours. Right. And we ended up doing the math and realizing that like it costs, 250 bucks a month to, uh, I'm sorry, 250 bucks a night to rent one of these things, like a decent one. And it's a 95,000, it's an $85,000 thing that we get like, you know, 30 foot, whatever, sleep seven. And if you put 20 grand down, the payments are 450 bucks a month. So if we, I did the math, I'm like, wait a minute, one night is 250 a week, a week is $1,500, give or take. So if I rent this thing out for a week, it pays for three months of the mortgage. All I have to do is rent this thing out five times a year and it pretty much pays for itself. I'm like, screw it, let's buy it. So we ended up buying it. We drove cross country. We drove to Yellowstone, which was super fun. Uh, and then just this weekend we went up, you know, now we're doing like kind of little weekend trips and just, just trying to get away. And just, if nothing else, to get away from the insanity, uh, it's been a really good kind of mental clarity thing uh, that, that me and my wife and daughter are, are, you know, kind of take advantage of as much as we can these days, but still blows my mind that I'm now an RV owner because that's about the last thing you would if you would ask me last year John do you ever see yourself owning an RV I'd be like dude that's the last thing I could see myself owning but we are where we are and you got to adapt it's crazy and I've seen that like all over from other people random people on social media that they, they bought or rented RVs it's like man it must be it's not a great time to be a, a salesperson of some things but like RV and zoom is like oh if you're a salesperson of either of those two things you're doing pretty well this year you're doing all right there's certain things that absolutely popped when COVID hit right and and certain things obviously got destroyed but man if you were in certain industries that were kind of oh yeah like to haves now all of a sudden must-haves yeah you're making it rain right now for sure. So uh, that leads me to, you know, you had a great post uh, that you've talked about. I think it got a lot of traction when you came back from that two week trip and you had, you know, 2000 or so emails and you were coming yeah. through them and you kind of sorted them out into, uh, you know, marketing spam versus, you know, sales rep emails versus, you know, thank you emails and so on and so forth, customer service. And there was such a lack of personalization, right? I don't have the stats in front of me, but the yeah. main takeaway was like sales reps aren't, you know, they're not, per they didn't personalize anything to you. So I, I want to dive in on that. Like that seems so hard to believe because you put so much content out that right. That's, you know, main part of your job. So yeah. 
when you say that it's not personalized, do you mean it's not, they're not referencing anything of the content that you have? They're not referencing anything about JB sales. It's just like, hey, you know, John, here's how we can help you do X, Y, Z. Like, is it really that vanilla? Uh, so this is, it, it shocked me, man. Cause you know, I've been talking, I've been training now for whatever, 12 years or something like that. And, you know, and especially early on, it was all about personalization right now. I've kind of shifted to personalization and relevance and whatever, but you know, uh, you know, I've been preaching about, and look, I'm not that important. Right. But, but, you know, I run my own little seven person company here. I'm also to your point, I'm also not shy about what I invest in. I mean, all you got to do is listen to one or two podcasts and you'll hear me drop some sort of technology that I'm using or what I'm looking for or whatever it is. And, and I got, when I came back, there was 2040 emails in my inbox and I segmented them out to list service and all that other stuff. And there were 78, what I would consider 78 sales emails, right? Which were somebody trying to get a meeting with me to sell me something. Okay, cool. Zero of them were, were, were personalized. Zero. And I mean personalized anything along the lines of, hey, John, I read your blog. Hey, John, I was on your LinkedIn profile. Like even the basics of personalization weren't there. And I couldn't, like to me, I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, again, I feel like I'm beating the same drum over and over and people are like, oh yeah, whatever. Okay, personalization, we get it. Yeah, we all personalize, but nobody is. And to me, I think a lot of people talk a good game about personalization, but we're still in a world where numbers matter. And, and I also think that we're in this transition phase right now where people understand that, that quality is the, is the way to go, right? Account-based marketing and all these different things, right? Personalization at scale, blah, blah, blah. I think people understand that's the way to go, but we're still being held to 50 dials a day, 100 activities, whatever that number is, right? So it's really hard to, to manage towards quality. What's easy to manage towards is, Tom, did you send your 50 emails out today? Did you make your 50 dials today? And if you didn't, I'm gonna whap you over the head for it, right? So I think as much as people understand it, they still in practice aren't doing it because it does take time. It does, it does you know, take some effort to go on and go on somebody's LinkedIn profile, look at their activities, go on their website, look at some news and events and come up with something that's good enough to make connection to, to make relevant, right? But I'm telling you right now, you know, out of the, out of the 2040 emails that I got, um, 356 of them were LinkedIn messages. Of the 356, uh, 356 LinkedIn messages, um, I think there was about 20, uh, nine of them were personalized and one of them did video. And again, same thing. I've been preaching video. Morgan and I have been preaching video, LinkedIn video emails now for about a year and a half now. And we've been talking about how incredible it is and like how 50% of our pipeline is generated that way. And I only got one. And guess what was the one I responded to? It was the personalized LinkedIn video. It was the only one out of all those emails that I got that I actually responded to. So it's there in theory. It's not there in practice still. So I want to dive in a little. It's crazy to me. So I want to get a little bit further into this. So I'm taking you know, I'll do a shameless plug. I'm taking the, the JB online sales training portal. That was something that, you know, when I got a new gig about a month ago was something that I wanted to invest in. Cause I was going from managing a team, uh, being a player coach to just an AE carrying a bag. And I want, you know, I wanted to really kind of invest back in like, all right, what are the, what are the tactics people are using? How can I up my, my game? And I love the portal. And you talk about, um, 
you know, how to personalize, uh, you know, like tailored versus targeted messaging. Mm -hmm. So um, in that, you know, maybe I'm misquoting you, but it's something to the extent of like, you know, the top, the top tier accounts that you want to go after, they're going to be very targeted. They're going to be very, or sorry, they're going to be very tailored specific yep. to the person. Whereas, you know, the B accounts, the tier twos are going to be more uh, targeted. They're going to be maybe like persona based or industry based mm -hmm. types of targeting, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think that maybe everyone, that everyone just had you in that second bucket and they were trying to target you based on your industry or was like, is that part of the game? Do you think that people are just trying to get like a, a mass quantity out there? A hundred percent. I, you know, I think it's, it, there's this, there's this immediate satisfaction, right? Where somebody would rather, cause look doing personalization, cause there's the top of the, you know, people talk about personalization and personalization is great, but without relevance, it's meaningless. It's actually, I think it's mm. even worse, right? Because that's why, that's why I'm not as freaking out as much about AI as I used to before. Because artificial intelligence, you know, and I've, seen, I've sent this email out a bunch of times, or I've seen this, you know, I've used this in my presentations where there was this AI bot back in 2017 that somebody uh, split from Salesforce and created this artificial intelligence bot based on my email structure, like the why you, why you know email structure. And, uh, and I was like, what? And they're like, oh, John, we want to show it to you, right? And, and they sent it to me and I was, I was like, holy shit, because it was so good. Like it was, it was personalized, it was relevant in the whole thing. So at first I was like, oh my God, if AI can do this, we are in deep trouble as sales professionals. But then what happened was that I started seeing AI. What AI can do is it can, it can highlight, it can find something personal, but it can't yet make it relevant based on whatever your solution is, right? So I don't know about you, but I'm getting a ton of emails for, like that say, hey, John, I see you uh, went to University of Maryland, you know, go Terps. And then it just like hard cuts to some, yeah, and the reason I'm reaching out is because we got this really great software development platform. So there's no relevance at all, right? So to me, if you would ask, John, if you could choose personalization or relevance, which one would you choose? I would choose relevance all day long. Because if you know me as a VPS or a CEO of a small business training company, and you can ask like very pointed questions that you could ask any CEO of training companies in the SMB space, you could send that out to 50 people and you'll still, I'll still respond to that more than, hey, John, I see you went to the University of Maryland, you know, boom, right? So I think there's this, there's this connection that we have to make. But it, again, it takes time to do that personalization. And so people are just, I, I just fundamentally believe that most people, I know, forget about it. I don't believe, I know that most people are lazy. It is what it is. Yeah. I personally believe that 80% of this world are fucking sheep and they want to be told what to do and they want a button because I get daily questions. Hey, John, do you got a template email that I could send to, you know, my financial services clients that gets you a really good response? Like I got a text message the other day from a buddy of mine saying, hey, I'm taking over a territory for somebody who just got fired. What's a great email that I could send to all his customers to get some meetings out of them? I'm like, dipshit, <laughs> there isn't. There isn't one email. If there was, none of us would have jobs. You know what I yeah. mean? If there was the silver bullet, if it was easy, everybody would do it scenario thing. And I think everybody's always looking for that easy way out to get that, you know, quick response, that endorphin rush that somebody got a response and whatever it is, because it's easier to send out 500 emails at a time and get five or six responses than it is to spend 10, 15 minutes writing, researching, because when you do that, when you do the research and you put that much effort into one email and you don't get a response, 
it's, it is demoralizing. It is defeating, right? Because you're like, wait a minute, I spent all that time doing research and I didn't get a response here. So what the, you know, fuck it. I'll just send out 500 emails, see what I get a response, right? And so people defer to that, even though that this is the long game here. So how do you, in that example, right, where someone says, you know, go Terps or whatever, and then they talk about their product. How do you, how do you link those two? Because um, I've seen people talk about like trying to, to get that, like, how do you, like, so then what, so, so you don't, you wouldn't leverage something like University of Maryland. You would maybe no. use something like a blog post that you wrote that somehow relates to what we do. It, like, if it's not relevant to them, it's not worth do, showing I mean, put, that you did your research. Let it put, put it this way. Put it in the PS. Don't lead with it. You know mm. what I mean? So, hey, Tom, you know, I've been keeping myself updated on you guys and I noticed you guys are doing some cool stuff. I want to talk to you. P.S. Go Terps. You know, it's something like that. That's mm -hmm. where you use it. But don't try to stretch. I mean, unless you sell something about, you know, university, uh, you know, unless you sell something that's relevant to the University yeah. of Maryland or something about how I could reconnect with my alumni from University of Maryland, then okay, do it. But don't lead with that shit because it shows a lack of, and especially if you're reaching out to somewhat sophisticated buyers who've been in the market for a little while, like if I get, you immediately lose credibility to me on fake. It's, it's like fake personalization and fake empathy are worse than no empathy or no personalization. Example, when COVID hit, right? March, you heard, oh, lead with empathy, lead with empathy, right? So every single stupid email that hit my inbox within a couple of days started with, hey, John, I hope you and your family are doing well. And then okay. cut to some piece of shit value proposition that had nothing to do with me. Like that, I actually, I, you get less credit if you do that, then if you just said, Hey, John, I got this great software development thing because the fake empathy right now, now you're kind of patronizing me in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? It's like, like, you don't know me. You don't give a shit about me. You know, you just want to sell that thing. So just sell that thing. Don't pretend like you're cool and try to sell that thing. Just sell the thing. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing with, Hey, John went to university of Maryland. Like roll my eyes. That was, you know, sales circa 2002 back in when LinkedIn was first. I mean, look, when LinkedIn first started going out that, you know what I mean? Was start, really starting to become popular in the early 2000s. That did work because, mm -hmm. because it did show that you took that extra layer of effort to go and look at me. Now it's like, dude, shut up. You know what I mean? Like it has, I'm a 44 year old man. If you reference something I did in college, like... <laughs> shut up. So, so you really like take that time. So that the, the, either the relevance factor and say, Hey, John, you're a CEO in the, you know, in the training industry of an SMB team. So what could people like that be dealing with right now? Ask me some questions, send me some content that's relevant to those type of things. You don't have to personalize that at all. As long as it's relevant to me and it gets me to think a little bit, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to that far more than I would pay attention to somebody who's pretending like they care. And do you adjust that at all, uh, depending, you know, whether it's a C-suite person versus a VP versus a director? Like, do you, it, in my opinion, I find that, or what I've always thought is that some, the, the more important they are, the less they want to read. So, you know, a CEO, you know, you might give them a three sentence email versus a director. Maybe it's going to be a little bit longer or you include, a, you know, some more info or something like that. But is that how you generally go about it or? Yeah. I mean, the higher I go, the more personalized I tend to get. Right. But yeah. also the tighter I have to be with my messaging. Right. Cause the, again, the higher you go, the more emails you get in your inbox and the less likely you are to respond, but the more personalized I get as well. So, you know, I mix it up. Look, you know, the challenge with personalization too is, is that usually 
if I were to sit down and let, let's take the numbers of cadences, right. And say, okay, you need, I don't know what whatever the number is these days, you know, between nine and 15 touches to get a response, right. Whatever that is. Well, the personalization part of that, I mean, nine personalized emails, that's pretty damn hard to come by. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm going to send you an email. Like, you know, after like the, like if I do research on you, Tom, like I'm probably, you know, you and your company between you and your business, I could probably find two to three legit things to make connections to, right? Something based on your history or your previous job and maybe what your current company is doing, maybe a press release or something like that. But after like the third one, it starts to get a little weak as far as like me stretching to make a connection here. Right? So that's why I round it out with personalization and relevance. So for instance, my first email to you is going to be about something around, Hey, I was on your website and I noticed this thing happened. I'd like to have a conversation. Second one might be sharing a piece of content that's relevant to what I just said there. Third one might be a call based on a persona. Hey Tom, we're showing other VPs of sales in your industry, how to drive these type of results based on their challenges. We'd like to have a conversation with you about it. Like the fourth one might be more personalized. Hey, I was on your LinkedIn profile. Maybe do a little LinkedIn video. Fifth one's another persona driven one asking you a question. Hey, Tom, how are you keeping your reps motivated and engaged now that you're working from, now that they're all working from home? The reason I ask is because VPs of sales whose main priority is keeping the reps motivated and engaged are leveraging our training to do this, right? And I can send that out to 50 other people. So it's kind of a mix and match thing. The key is telling the story. The key mm. is having the the messaging around triggers and the messaging and the understanding of personas. So when I sit down and go after you, I can find out however many triggers I can find, right? Open up a new office, whatever it is. And then I can say, all right, where's my trigger messaging? Cool. What persona am I going after? Where's my persona messaging? What content is now relevant to that person? And now with all those assets, now let me take a step back and figure out how to tell this story. What's my first touch, second touch, third touch, fourth touch, which ones are going to be calls, which ones are going to be emails, where am I going to layer social on top of this, right? So that's the key there is that we need to be kind of preceding a lot of this messaging based on triggers and personas so that when we're executing, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're actually finding that messaging and we're using it to tell our story. Mm, I love that. And I want to pivot you to, uh, to time management mm -hmm. because we were talking about this before the show. Uh, for a little bit. And you're were, you were talking about how you run your schedule a little bit through the week and, and what you do on Friday. So could you speak to, you know, first, can you speak to, you know, Friday is my day and how you yeah. kind of came up with that. And then I'd love to just hear from you as well on how you run the other four days of the week, because mm -hmm. I see sometimes you post on, you know, Instagram or something like that. Like, Hey, look, I've got five hours of straight training and you're yep. grinding. And I know you're grinding. And I know that's yep. one of your key uh, philosophies is, you know, work hard and smart. And so I know you work your ass off. So I'm curious how you set up, you know, trying to get all your content out versus you prospect versus your trainings, customer success, service stuff that you have to do all of that. Yeah, it's, it is a lot. I mean, and for context for people listening, you know, I'm a CEO of my own little company here, seven people, but I still prospect into 25 tier one accounts on a quarterly basis. I currently manage, you know, 10 to 20 deals in my pipeline at any given point in time. And I'm cross-selling, upselling new existing accounts while doing probably 10 trainings a week, plus the meetings, plus the management, plus all that stuff. So without structure, I tend to fall apart, right? So I have to do certain things that are, are baked in that are almost like a routine factor to me, right? Because I found that if I, have, if I have a routine doing something, it tends to happen. If I don't have a routine, routine and treat it as kind of like an event, 
I usually can run over that event anytime. So like, you know, a lot of people, especially AEs, they might schedule two hours on Tuesday afternoon from two to four to do prospecting, right? By the time that day comes and that hour comes, I could probably come up with 8 million other things to do that I think are more important than prospecting. So that's why it always gets pushed to the bottom of the list, right? But if I have a routine doing it where every day I'm doing a little bit of, you know, a few things or every month I'm doing a few things, then I kind of get into that mode. So um, I'll walk you through, like I'll, I'll finish with the Friday stuff, but I'll walk you through my routine. You know, I tear out my accounts. I got my top 25 tier one accounts and I do that on a quarterly basis, right? So once a quarter, I go in and I kind of reset on who my new top 25 tier one accounts are. In those top 25, I have three personas that I go after, VPs of sales, CROs, and VPs of enablement, right? So that's 75 people. So what I do is at the first business day of every, of every quarter, and every month is blocked off 100%. So the first Monday of every quarter and every month is blocked off 100% to do prospecting set the stage for so that the rest of my month and the rest of my quarter is all about execution. And during that day on Mondays, um, I got my team meetings in the morning, but then for two hours, I pick five accounts that are tier one and I go deep on them. I do all my research at the same time, right? So I, I look on their websites, I look at their LinkedIn profiles and I come up with my six to 10 touch cadence for each one of those five accounts, right? It's very tailored, it's very thoughtful. And then I send out that first email and I schedule touch two, three, four, five, and six throughout the rest of the month to, so that the content is already in those activities. So I already know what I'm gonna say when they happen. Then for another two hours, we pick a persona-driven cadence. So VPs of sales in the SaaS industry, something like that. And I come up with six or seven messages that speak to VPs of sales in the SaaS industry, right? That are, that are targeted, but not tailored. So, right. And I come up with, usually there are emails in my case, because I don't have a lot of time to do call blitzes these days. So I come up with six or seven emails that speak to that persona and figure out where I'm going to share content. And I run 50 to 100 people through that. So the, during those two hours on that Monday, I, I come up with six or seven messages and I send my first one out to 50 and then I schedule touch two, three, four, five, and six throughout the rest of the month. Again, it's almost on autopilot. So now with that front loaded that first day, now the rest of the month is about execution. So now I know when the, when the activity comes up, I know what I'm going to say. I know the email I'm going to send. Then every day I take those 25 accounts and 75 people and I follow them on social listening tools like Sales Navigator, Owler, uh, Facebook, Twitter, those type of things. And I have this morning routine where every morning I get up. I usually get up at 5.30 in the morning, get my shit together from 5.30 to 6.30. 6.30, I, you know, I grab my coffee beforehand. From 6.30 to 7.30 every morning, I just kind of scan through data feeds. And all I'm looking for is like, I'm tracking all of those accounts and I'm looking for triggers, right? Did they open up a new office, launch a new product? And I'll fire off two or three emails every single morning right? Just to stay consistent with super high quality. I don't mind. And I probably won't put them into a cadence, you know, or anything like that. I'm just kind of being opportunistic there, but I'm doing it so I can get into that routine. And then I also use Feedly where I just, you know, I follow a bunch of RSS data feeds on certain topics, right? Sales blogs, AI, artificial, you know, those type of things. And that's kind of read my paper there. And I'll share two or three posts every morning of, Hey, really cool article here, whatever. Right? So, First Monday of every month, I block off. I do persona-driven cadences and, and tailored ones. And then every day I drink my coffee and I just send out two or three. And that's pretty much all I do. You know, I'm, I'm a lot more analogous these days to kind of like a senior AE, right? But I still do it almost every day to stay consistent with it. And that way I can track all that stuff at the end of the month to see which one's got high response rates and I can make adjustments and move forward. 
And then on the Friday thing, I realized I was going batshit crazy on Fridays, or I'm sorry, in general, when COVID hit, because, you know, for me, everything changed. I mean, 70% of my revenues was on-site training. And so that got ripped away from me. So now everything became remote and I had to figure out, oh my God, how do I make sure that we stay in business and we pivot, right? So APAC, AMIA, I was doing all these trainings from like six o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. And the way I work, I mean, you know, I sent you my calendar link and say, pick a time, right? So what was happening was my calendar link was going out to everybody for trainings and meetings and everything else. And my days were bananas, like absolutely bananas. I didn't control anything about my week. And then it was the weekend and that was time with my family, right? So I don't want to say I don't control it, but it was more about my wife and my daughter and doing what they wanted to do. So I was there with them, right? So I realized I, w- I didn't have a single day to, my, to myself that I that I owned, that I, that I could control. And so I ended up putting Fridays, I call them my days, and I blocked it off 100%. So you cannot schedule anything on a Friday. You cannot choose anything on my calendar for a Friday. I can choose to set up a meeting on a Friday, but you can't automatically jump on my calendar. So Fridays being my days weren't necessarily, I'm not working on Fridays. It was, that is my mental clarity day that I can do whatever I want with. And whether it's work and catching up on activities and those type of things, or scheduling a few meetings with people, maybe a podcast or two, or going to the grocery store and taking care of some errands and that type of stuff. So what happened was by implementing Fridays as my days, it gave me this mental reprieve to say, ah, this is a day that I have to my own. And it was so effective for me that I ended up implementing it across the board with JB Sales. So everybody at at, at the company now has Fridays as their days and you cannot schedule a meeting on that day. And I don't care if they work. If they wanna take it as a mental health day, take it as a mental health day. If they wanna catch up on activities, catch up on activities, but we do not expect anybody to do anything on that day other than take care of themselves. And it's been a really healthy thing. That's awesome. And do you, when you are running your schedule the other four days of the week, is it still the same way? Like folks can still book you 6am to 10pm and you just know that, Hey, fuck, I'm going to have to push this thing off. You know, this, whatever else thing I have to do this, this output and, but I'm going to have time on Friday and you kind of know that in the back of your mind. Absolutely. So I do all my kind of follow-up activities, like the ones that are not pressing, right? Cause I got a lot of, I still do a lot where say Tom, you and I spoke six months ago and you said, yeah, John, this sounds good, but we're not in a good, you know what I mean? Follow up, right? That type mm-hmm. of thing. I got a lot of those type of activities like reconnect, that type of stuff. I'll usually kind of, if I can do them throughout the week, cool. But if I can't, I usually kind of put them on those Fridays to say, okay, I'll get to those when I can get to them. But yeah, the rest of the week is pretty jam packed. Um, you know, when we did this with Morgan, when he first started, he was a little bit all over the place. Um, and one of his strengths was when he was uh, an SDR and an SDR manager at uh, Terminus was he was very structured with his calendar. It was like from, you know, seven to eight, do this from eight to eight thirty do that from eight thirty to nine thirty do this. Right. And that's how he really thrived in, in within that structure. And I realized we didn't, he didn't really have that structure with us. It was all over the place. He was doing a training, then a sales, sales call, then this, then that, and the other thing. And what we did was we just said, all right, mornings and afternoons. Okay mornings um, because most of our clients are on the west coast right we're here on the east coast 
And so mornings, there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. So I told him, all right, for your mornings, I don't book meetings in your mornings. Your meetings are going to be in the afternoon. Okay. So block your calendar. So you can only schedule sales calls in the afternoon, but in the mornings do everything that looks like this, right? So typing effectively, right? So check your emails, respond to emails, do all that, do all your research, do all your prep, right? Anything that involved you looking at a computer screen and typing stuff. That's what I want you to do in the mornings, but in the afternoons do everything that's associated with the phone. So meetings in the afternoon, call blitzes in the afternoon, because when you're in that groove, you can kind of say, okay, I'm now on the phone. So let me do that. So just by sectioning that out and saying, okay, mornings were more typing and email focused and afternoons are meeting and phone focused. He started to gain some, some sanity in his schedule and also just realizing that everything is not that important. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things that this goes to the four hour work week of what really is important. And you, we think it's important, but at the end of the day, if you start to put some structure in place to get rid of that stuff, you realize a lot of it isn't. And we do a lot of busy work. So just tracking that and trying to make sure that you're staying on top of what's actually important, which is all about goal setting and constantly reminding yourself of what you need to be doing to achieve those goals and not doing the things that are not helping you achieve those goals. That type of thing matters as well. Mm-hmm. And, and to dig back on one question I had on the way that you're setting up your prospect, right? You mentioned 25 accounts, you're picking out your personas. What happens if, you know, the first month there, five of those accounts, you know, tell you to F off and three of them turn into an opportunity. Are you adding more in there or is it like, Hey, here's my 25. You know, I know that that's going to convert to X amount of opportunities and that's what I need. Yeah. I, if they fall off, they fall off. I just, I, I, again, more of a routine fact, not that you shouldn't, it's just for me, it's just the mental bandwidth. I've like, I've gotten into that. Okay. 25 flush them out, you know, and if only five of them are left at the end of the quarter. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I'm getting a new 25 in, an, in another quarter. So yeah, I don't believe, I don't try to mix and match. I just I'm, like, I stay pretty committed to my standard flow. Uh, because the reason is, is, you know, I'm following all those accounts on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on, on all these different tools. So you might say no to me today, Tom, but then a month later, something might happen in your company that might open up the opportunity to reconnect with you at that point. So you might go through a merger, you might do something else so I could reach out to you. And even if you said no, take me off your list or whatever it is, I mean, if look, if you say, take me off your list, I'm taking you off my list. But if I just get, I know we're all set or we're not interested a month later, I might be like, hey, Tom, you know what? I've been keeping myself updated on you guys. And I noticed that this thing just happened. You know, I know you said no about a month ago to this conversation, but would you be open to it now? Right. So that's where I just kind of keep them in that flow. Yep. And I want to, uh, you know, take a few minutes to talk through some questions from the audience that yeah. I, I gathered as well. Um, so this is an interesting question. So how has the ability to get your messaging out at greater scale helped or hurt your business, right? Because it's kind of that, that Gary V-esque model where you're giving away 99% of your content for free. Um, so how, do you, how does that affect your ability to maybe charge for that 1%? Does it? Do people ever say, no, nah, I'm all set. I listen to the podcast and, I'm, and we're good? Yeah, so it's funny. You know, Gary... I love Gary. I love a lot about Gary and his messaging. And I, there's some things I disagree with him on. Uh, one of them is that you should give all of your content away for free. Like, I, I, I just think that 
for somebody like Gary, good for you, man. Like you have <laughs> a billion people, you have VaynerMedia, you're already a multimillionaire. So it's a lot easier for you to be so cool and give away all super <laughs> high value shit, man. But for the rest of us that are trying to make a fucking buck and trying to get to his level, there's a balance here of what you give away versus what you charge for. Now, I will say that when I got into this industry before I even knew Gary V, you know, I genuinely believed in the give get in the giver's gain mentality, which is like the more you give away, the more you'll get back, right? And and you can't give with the expectation of getting back. You give because you give, right? And I mean, it, it helped me early in my career. Like when I was brand new, you know, 22 years, 23 years old, started my first company, Thrive Networks. We didn't have, like I was the VP of sales and marketing and we were self-funded, so we had no money. So I was the sales marketing PR engine for all of us. And so what I would do is I would go out to networking events, for instance, and I would literally meet every single person and I would talk to them about, not about what I wanted, but I would always talk to them about, hey, what, what, who are you here to meet with? What, what, you know, what can I do to help you? And I would go overboard giving, making introductions to people and that type of stuff. Fast forward, when I, joined, when I had to start my own company, all those favors that I had done to everybody early in my career came back in spades because now I called everybody up and said, hey, I need an accountant. You mind help me out? Sure, John, I'll take care of you. Hey, I need a website. You mind help me out? Sure, John, no problem. Hey, I need payroll. No, pr You know what I mean? So all that came back. So it really solidified to me how important it was. And then from a content standpoint, when I got into training, you know, when I really got into training back in, I want to say 2007-ish, it was still a pretty gated community in the sense that if you ever wanted the slide deck from a, from a trainer, like you got a better shot at seeing God than them sending that to you. Right. Because they're like, no, this is my special sauce. And you know, and these are my, and you have to spend money for me to come and teach you my, you know, how smart I am and all that other stuff. And I just kind of was like, first of all, a, I'm not that smart. Um, and B like this shit is good and it works. And if you're hiring me because of that one nugget, then I've done something wrong. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like, because anybody can get a nugget from anywhere, right? I mean, you pick any methodology, you could Google it and there's 50 other people out there on, on YouTube right now telling you how to do it, right? So where, so why would they buy it from you? Well, they're not going to buy it from you for that one stupid nugget that, that, that is your special sauce. They're going to buy it because they see value in you, right? And they say, oh, well, John, shit, if John gives away that, then what if I paid for it? You know what I mean? I mean, I tell people all the time, Tom, I mean, the, the portal that you're in right now, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could spend, you know, a couple of days combing through all my blog posts, every video I've put out there on, on Zoom in, or on, on uh, um, YouTube and those places, right? And you could put together, I'd say 90 to 95% of what I charge people for, right? But people still pay it because A, people are going back to people are lazy right? It's just the same reason. Like you can get a Harvard education for free if you really wanted to. Every course at Harvard is online for free. Okay. But you don't get the Harvard, you know, certification for it. And it would take you a while to figure out how to learn and translate that stuff. So why do they still go spend $80,000 a year to go to Harvard? Right? So it's the same type of philosophy. So I do believe in giving away a lot, 
um, to, to show value and to add value to the, to the audience and to put you in a position of like, holy shit, that guy's so, but then gating some of it that is your special sauce that is, or might not be that special nugget, but the process that you put together to help people implement this, right? It's like yeah. working out. I mean, think of working out. There's a million, I mean, everybody knows what you need to do working out for crying out loud. Why do you get a personal trainer? Because you need the accountability. You, there's a mm. certain structure to it that you didn't really think about that they know about, you know, those type of things. That's why people pay for that shit. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, back to uh, another question. So someone wanted to know about video, right? And I think he is a, he's a sales leader. He, he runs a sales development team and he wants to know how do you, not how do you use video, but how do you get reps excited about something like video so that they would actually use it? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with, with results, right? Is, is um, they, they, in order for reps to get excited, they have to see some results. So it's almost like you want to do a little pilot with uh, some of the players on your team that might be interested and in, in want to try this, to, to test it out on some clients about, you know, to see like, hey, what's the impact that video has? And not just prospecting, right? But objection handling, delivering proposals, like there's all sorts of ways that video can be applied. But I think that, you know, you have to, first of all, people have to get comfortable on camera. Okay. And, and at this point, if you're not comfortable on camera, you're going to forget about sales in general. Like business is going to be really difficult for you moving forward here because this is the new world. Anybody who's waiting for this to go back to normal, I got, I got news for you. You're screwed. There is no normal going back to, okay. We are in this virtual world right now and it's just now accelerated because of COVID. So get used to it, okay? That's first and foremost is suck it up and get on camera. Um, but then start using it as internal. Here's a way to start doing it uh, internally to just kind of get people in the motion of doing it, which is run your meeting. So instead of having that, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, I saw a few companies doing that, I, that I've started to adapt myself or adopt myself is uh, they'll actually, instead of having that useless all hands meeting where I kind of drone through a bunch of the things that the company's doing and, you know, and then leave 20 minutes for Q and a for the crew, right? Like instead of doing that boring piece of shit meeting that everybody can't stand, like why not as an executive light up a little video, you know, zoom video thing or, or drift or whatever it is, record a 10 minute snippet on, Hey everybody, here's the quick updates of what we got going on right now. And uh, you know, send me an email, send me a video if you have questions about it. Right. So now people can watch it on their own time. They can react how they want to react or whatever it is. Same thing with internal meetings with your sales team. It's like, okay, Hey, uh, and start getting into used to, Hey Tom, like if you're my rep, uh, I'll send you, instead of sending you an email to ask you a question about something, I'm going to send you a video and say, Hey Tom, you know what you had sent uh, the other day on your forecast review, you were talking about this. I totally forgot about that. Could you do me a favor? Just hit me quick with an email, with a video back about where we are on this situation and getting you to then send me a video. Hey John, here's, you know, Oh, that deal. So now it's just kind of starting to like, this is how we're doing business now. Right. And this is how we are communicating now. So you start to get people used to that. And then you gotta, you gotta train them. You know what I mean? And you got to trial with experimentation about like, okay, well, what, what, what kind of message would you send? Uh, why are you going to send it? Like how personal do you want this to be? Right. Um, and, and just, and have them practice, right? The, you go back to tier one, tier two, tier threes. I tear out my accounts for a specific reason. The tier ones, obviously those are the ones I'm going to be super personalized with. I'm going to follow on social tier twos or volume. 
But tier threes, which I always used to hate because you're bad customers anyways, I, now I like them for one specific reason and it's practice. So if I'm trying anything new, I run a list of my tier threes and I throw up all over myself and who cares? As long as I'm not <laughs> doing anything offensive, I can kind of get away with whatever I want to get away with, right? So, you know, maybe have a list of shitty accounts to test video on and see if it starts. And as soon as they start seeing the results, they're going to start to get excited about it, right? So that's I, why you have to share as also like as, as managers, anytime a rep does something that's cool and they get to respond specifically on video, take that and make a big news out of it. Be like, holy shit, look at this video that Tom sent to one of our top tier accounts and look at the response that he got back from this. Boom, oh man, if you're not doing video right now, you're out of your mind, right? And that'll start to snowball into, okay, let's do this more often. I love that. I could just picture you and Morgan and James just sending videos back and forth to each other all day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Morgan's really good on vo like Morgan, the way he does it is I tend to jump on the video response. He actually does voicemails through text. So mm -hmm. all, like, instead of texting oh, me, yeah, he'll yeah. just do a voicemail and it'll show up a WAV file and I'll listen to it. And then I'll usually pop a video back and be like, Hey, what's up, man. Right. Instagram, for instance, if you want a response from usually if you hit me up on Instagram with a question, most of the time, instead of me typing a response, I'm going to, light up my video and be like, cool. Hey, Tom, good question on that one. You know, instead of typing you here, let, let me give you an answer on this one. Boom. It's just an easier way for me to communicate that message. I love that. And so I want to bring you really quick. This is a new thing I'm doing to the selfish section, right? So I ask yep. a question specifically for me. So I was listening to your podcast a few weeks ago. You had um, the guy from Sweetfish Media. You're talking yeah, yeah. about podcasting. Yep, Logan, yeah. So I, I think, you know, there's no surprise that I'm a big fan of podcasts. Uh, yep. I've been running this for a few years now. And I think that it's something that can really help businesses. You know, I see folks like Gong and Drift and Outreach and so on and so forth using it. So here's my question for you. How do I, what's your advice to me pitching that internally of, you know, what's the ROI going to be and things like that? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I, how do I get buy-in that that's going to be a good idea and that's going to help us to build a brand, drive revenue, so on and so forth? Um, I think you would have to pitch it as a trial almost. Right? If, mm -hmm. if you're coming to me as some, you know, some kid who wants to try to create your own podcast, right? Cause my, my concern as a business owner or the CMO or whatever of your company is, wait a minute, you're trying to build your personal brand here outside of the company and I can't control that message, right? So there's the concern that you have to lead up with, right? To say, okay, well, no, here's my plan for my podcast. Not, I just want to start a podcast. Here's my plan. Um, you know, my conversion ratios on my emails and my calls right now to senior level executives is 1%. Okay. So let's start with a baseline of what you're currently doing now that is probably not working in a lot of ways. Okay. So, I have, you know, I, I listened to John, I listened to Logan, where they talked about using podcasts to engage with senior level executives to try to get more meetings with them from a sales perspective. So I'm going to start my little podcast here on, you know, learning from this, like learning from the CSO or learning from the VP of sales, right? That type of stuff. And what I'm going to do is here's a list of 50 accounts that I, that I want to get business with. And instead of me reaching out to those executives and asking them, hey, I want to meet with you to sell you something, I'm going to invite them on my podcast and have a no, like no sales pitch conversation 
about certain things, about what it's like to be a VP of sales, what you see, those type of things. And first of all, I'm going to learn because that's my target audience. So I'm, that's how I'm going to increase my business acumen here because I'm going to be able to you know, learn from those people. So I'm going to be able to speak to that better. So the auxiliary benefit to this is I'm going to have better conversations in general. Second of all, um, it's content that we can use to brand. And I'll give this to you, marketing department, if you want to cut this up and put little snippets on it and push this out there, by all means, I, I mean, I'm happy to do it myself, but if you guys want to control that message, by all means do that. And then we want to convert over the next quarter. I want to see how many of those that I get meetings with end up turning into really good qualified opportunities. And the end of the quarter, we'll do an analysis. I'll reach out to 50 accounts. I'll see how many of them actually agree to be my, on my podcast. Of those 50, say that there's 20 that say, yes, I'll be on your podcast. Of those 20, I wanna see how many actually flow into qualified meetings to talk about our solution. And if that number is better than my existing approach right here, then, I, I, then, we, then I'm gonna say, okay, we should probably do this moving forward, right? If they're not, then I won't do it anymore and I'll stop from there, is that okay, right? So you kind of give them parameters of what your strategy is around this podcast. And you put kind of guardrails on it to say, look, I'm not going to go outside these rails and we're going to measure the effectiveness of it and go from there and see what happens. Yeah. So you're, I mean, one thing that I take away from you a lot too, is just like, just try things and be a scientist about it. Right. And check the metrics yep. and know your numbers and be able to identify what's working and what's not. If it's not actually working, then yep. maybe that's not the right platform, not the right move. I will tell you right now, the, the, the biggest frustration that I see reps and that I had too, is having this emotional discussion with my managers of why I didn't like doing something or why I wanted to do something. You know what I mean? Being like, well, I want to do a podcast. Well, why do you want to do it? I don't know. Cause I want to get my brand out there. And I think it's a good idea. And I heard it on a podcast from John and it's fucking good idea. You know, that type of thing. If I'm a VP of sales listening to that, I'm like, no, go fucking do your job. Like keep making phone calls for me. Right. But if, but if you're like, look, John, you know, I've been looking at my numbers, man. And after COVID hit, they went from a conversion ratio X to conversion ratio Y. And I am, I feel like I'm doing the definition of insanity here, man, doing the same thing over and over again. Cause my conversion ratio is literally like one to 2%. I think I want to try something different here, but here's the structure of how I want to look at it. Right. And if you can break it down like that and come with like, here's the baseline of what I'm working off of, and this is why I'm doing it. And here's what my hypothesis is. You're going to get your managers to be way more open to you doing things or not doing things, right? Because otherwise, look, I remember like the, there's two dials that you can pull as a manager, right? Quality and quantity. And you have to figure out which one to cross off the list before you can start to focus. So for me, when I, like at my first company Thrive, I knew my equation down pat, right? 400 dials a week, got me eight meetings a month, got me four proposals, got me two pieces of closed business and average deal size was $3,500. So I just ran that equation, right? So I would just make 400 dials. And then when I hired reps, I would tell them, make 400 dials a week, right? And I almost didn't give a shit what they said. I just like, yeah, here's a general script, but make, cause, cause I had to determine, will you put in the work, right? Because, and what would happen was I would have some reps come to me and they were like, oh, well, John, I'm not getting the, the, the meetings that um, I was expecting, you know, after a month or two of calling, I'd be like, okay, cool. How many, how many calls did you make last week? Well, I made 200, 250. And I'd be like, get the fuck out of my office and go make 400 dials because until you make 400 dials and the numbers don't flush out the way that I know that they did for me, I don't know what to work on with you. I don't know if it's an effort thing or if I don't know it's a quality thing. But as soon as you hit 400 dials on a consistent basis and those numbers aren't there, then I know it's not an effort thing. It's a quality thing. So now I can work with you on that. 
right? But if you just come with these, well, it's not working. Well, why isn't it working? What have you tested? What have you tried? Because if you are not segmenting that stuff out, then you're going to do what the fuck I tell you to do. And otherwise, go find another job. But if you come to me with data about why what I'm asking you to do is not nearly as effective as what you're trying to do on a side hustle or whatever it is, because I get a lot of reps, well, John, that sounds great, but my boss won't even let me not make 50 dials today. So how do I... Everybody talks about their side hustle, right? Oh, I got a side hustle. Well, make your side hustle your fucking job and go do the quality stuff on the off hours. You know what I mean? Like take take 10 accounts at heaven forbid six o'clock at night and do some extra fucking work that you have to actually spend some more time on after hour five, you know, and, and sit down and do some research, be thoughtful, send some video emails, and then come to me as a manager at the end of the month and say, John, man, I've been doing 50 dials a day like you've been asking me to over the course of the month. And these are my conversion ratios. I've made however many calls, right? And, I, and I've gotten this many conversations, this many. Uh, on the side, I've been really targeting some tier one accounts and I've been using video. And dude, I'm getting like a 20% response rate when I do it this way. Your way, I'm getting a 2%. This way, I'm getting a 20%. Which one do you want me to do? And if your boss then tells you to continue to make 50 dials a day, go find another job. Right, because any manager worth their shirt is going to say, whoa, what did you just tell me there, Tom? You, this video thing that you're doing, you're getting a 20% response rate on that? Uh, yeah, stop making 50 dials right now and just do that, right? I mean, any manager that's worth their shirt will do that. But the ones that no, you still got to hit your, your metrics, go, you're not going to win that battle, so go find another job. That's the JB rant I was looking for right there. <laughs> Every once in a while I get kind of fired up with just, I guess get fired up with laziness and, 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 yeah. and people going through the fucking motions and, and not really wanting to get better, not trying to get better, always looking for an answer when there's plenty of them out there. Just Google it and figure it out. It's not, I'm, like I would tell people, I'm not a rocket science. I'm a state school kid, drank my way through four years of college. You know what I mean? Like I'm not dumb, but I'm also not a Harvard fucking grad here. You know what I mean? I just know I I'll work yeah. you. You know what I mean? Like I, I know my work ethic. It's, it's stronger than most. And I test things out constantly. And so I figure shit out. Yeah, totally. Go Terps. Um, so before, before we get to uh, where folks can find you and engage yep. with all this content, especially if they want to personalize an email and try to sell you something, uh, yep. we, I just had to ask about the, the Instagram story, the smoking weed in the hot tub. I mean... <laughs> When are, when are you going to do like a live podcast out of the hot? <laughs> that's the real uh, question. Yeah. The hot, like, so that's usually if you, if you ever look on Fridays, you know, that's my, that's my Zen spot is in my hot tub smoking a joint. Um, you know, now that uh, I'm, I'm not shy about it at all. Now that uh, pot is legal here in Massachusetts, anybody who judges me for smoking weed and actually drinks alcohol after work is a fucking hypocrite. So anyways, I'm trying to normalize <laughs> it. You, you know, I mean, uh, my, my uh, portal, uh, the, the on-demand platform, the price is 420 a year. So, um, yeah. you know, I, you know. The, the, I am I, one of these days, I am going to start a stoner pod, a stoner sales podcast where you just, you know, just like you've seen the hot wings one where you taste the hot wings and you ask questions like this one, yeah. so you got to rip a huge bong hit and then answer questions about sales and see where it goes. So <laughs> I, I'm not there yet because, uh, you know, I still got some, I still got some bills to pay here, but once I get to the point where I really, I really don't give a shit. I'm, I'm like 99% don't give a shit, but I just still 1% that I do. But, uh, you know, once I get there, I will start that. But, you know, it, it kind of goes back to just being real, man. 
I, I mean, I think so many people are trying to put on this facade about who they are and, and all this other stuff when I think the biggest thing that people appreciate these days is authenticity and, and kind of no bullshit. And that's, that's where I've, I've kind of found a home with Instagram. It's like that middle ground for me of, you know, yeah, I post good stuff, you know, tips and ideas and kind of my journey. And guess what? Part of my journey is getting stoned and, and, and figuring out how to deal with all this shit that we're dealing with right now. I mean, we all have our vices, you know what I mean? Like some people exercise, some people drink, some people, you know, go take some time off or whatever it is. For me, weed has been an extremely uh, healthy um, thing for me to, to get creative, to deal with the stress, to all those things included. And, you know, and I've actually gone pretty deep on uh, the medical component of, of marijuana and understand the benefits of CBD versus THC and all that stuff. But yeah, you can follow me along on Instagram and figure and uh, see a few more <laughs> stories of me uh, getting stoned in a hot tub. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Where else can, uh, can folks check you out? No, we're wrapping up here. Yeah. I mean, as always, you know, JB, uh, so jbarrows.com. So J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. That'll pretty much give you, you'll you check out our blog, all the events that we're doing, all that's free. Um, and you also, if you click on training for individuals, that's, that'll bring you to the on-demand platform that we just launched uh, back in April. And that has all of our content in it. So it's, you know, my two core programs, filling the funnel, driving to close. That's all what I train on Salesforce, LinkedIn, all those big companies. But then there's like, you know, mini programs like uh, James is on personal branding and Morgan's is on social selling. And then pretty much every video tip and every asset that we have is in there. So for 420 bucks a year, you get all of it. Um, and then LinkedIn, right? Uh, actually, LinkedIn is probably where I post most of my kind of new ideas and tips and stuff like that. And uh, Instagram is actually where I do all my uh, consulting. So like if anybody out there is listening for wants some free consulting, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. The handle's John M as in Michael Barrows, all one word. That's where you hit me up on Instagram and I'll get back to you as soon as I can if you have any questions about it. And for God's sakes, pony up the 420 a year and pay for the platform because <laughs> it's awesome, especially if you're an AE, SDR, someone that's out there prospecting and, and has a quote over their head. Uh, John, I appreciate the time, man. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, will, I, I do want to say one thing for all those people out there that are looking for jobs, right? What you just said there as far as pony up, right? Spend some money on, and, and I don't mean that on, on Jay Barrows. If you want to, I really appreciate it. And I know you'll get some value out of it. But just in general, like be consuming content. There's so much content out right now that, that, so it, that it, for free, for paid, whatever it is. And when you're sitting in an interview and asking, and I ask you, Hey, what have you been doing for the past couple of months, but you're looking for a job. And all you tell me is, well, I've been looking for jobs and you haven't told me that you've been improving yourself. Then okay, good for you. But the kid who comes in and says, oh man, so I've been, you know, I signed up for this program. I took this, I did this, I did, you know what I mean? I signed up for a masterclass and took Chris Voss's masterclass and I signed up for JB sales for this and I figured it out and I've learned a lot of stuff with it. Like that's the kid that I want on my team. So right now is a great opportunity to educate yourself, even if you're not in a job and, and find these nuggets that you can use to give yourself a much better chance at getting a job moving forward here. So anybody who invests in themselves is going to be somebody that I want to bring on board as my, on my team and don't wait for your management to, to invest in it for you, right? To say, even if you have a job right now and you're like, oh, we don't get training, shut up, go find it. There's tons of content out there that you can use. And I never want to hear that as an excuse from somebody that says, oh, I don't know because I didn't, you know, you didn't invest in the training for me. Totally. I mean, if you're not going to invest in yourself, then how can you expect anyone else to invest in you or pay you more or get it? give you a better job or anything like that. So you gotta, you gotta go make it happen on your own. No okay. pun intended. There you go. <laughs> cool, man.
Awesome. I appreciate the time, JB. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I really do appreciate it. What's up, everybody? Thanks for checking out that podcast. Uh, happy July to you. Uh, would love if you took 22 seconds and hit subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, your favorite podcast player. And be sure to check out some of my content on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Tom Alamo. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Tommy Tahoe. Have a great day. Make it legendary. Peace.